1: no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus terms and conditions apply.
0: Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino online.
2: I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true.
0: Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. absolutely anybody could be like mary be like mary log on to jumbocasino.com and play for free now no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner this is the sons of ucf podcast your place for
1: ucf sports talk year round now here is adam and mike Hello, hello, and hello! The sons of UCF have returned. It is the 146th episode of the show. My name is Adam, and as always, I have my friend and yours, Mr. UCF Mike, back again for another week. Mike, uh, I have you recovered from Thursday night's win. Uh, I know you traveled a long way, traveled back. How are you feeling as we record this on Monday night?
2: I feel great. My voice is not fully recovered. Mm-hmm. Talking about Thursday, it's Monday. It was getting back into form a little bit. And then last night, Mackenzie Milton came into a football game and it's gone down the tubes again. I think we'll be able to make it for these next two hours or so on this podcast, but it it may be a little sketchy at parts.
1: All right. Well, everyone bear, bear with Mike and I, my voice is also in kind of the same peril as Mike's right now, but we're going to get you through it. Uh, And uh, do us just one favor. If you're listening to us, make sure you're finding us on all the social media stuff at sons of UCF, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, our YouTube page, um, you can also find us uh, on our website, two dot com, And you should follow at UCF Mike on Twitter because he's a fun follow. That's at UCF Mike. One, don't forget, Thursday nights, we also do a live show. We bring in Trace Trelco, and revelry ensues. And Sometimes our internet even works. You never know when that'll be. Uh, So make sure you check that out Thursday nights on the Internet. Mike, tonight's show action packed. There's a lot of stuff. It's it's unbelievable. The Boise State win, which was on Thursday night, is like probably the third or fourth most interesting story at UCF as we record this on Monday night. So we'll talk about obviously the Boise win. We'll we'll go over our categories, give you the recap. Obviously, news broke uh, shortly after that or even really that day. UCF to the Big 12, is that a thing? We'll talk about that. You already mentioned Mackenzie Milton, Mike. He got back in a live football game for the first time in over 1,000 days. We must talk about that. We're going to bring back some old staples. UCF observations will return, and then we will give you Sunday's headlines today. Mike's picks are back, how the week is back, that's all back. This is the football season edition of the Suns UCF show, Mike. It's always a fun one. It's just you and I, no guests this time around, but trust me, there's plenty to talk about. You don't even want to hear from a guest right now. All you want to hear about is UCF news, and Mike, I think we got everybody covered.
2: There's nothing better than the show after a big win, and it's been a while now for us. The last game we had, we know the bookable I hate doing shows after losses. They suck. And they're hard for me to do. But a win like this, a historic win, a 21-point comeback win, I cannot wait to get this episode underway.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll touch on it later on, too. But a, a couple of quick things. So Just a, a quick thanks to everybody who stopped by the Sons of UCF tailgate. It was so cool to meet. So many people out there who came by for a minute, for an hour, for – you know, three hours through a rain delay, whoever you were, um, Mike, we had a blast meeting some people, too many to name, um, you know, but a lot of folks stopped by, said hello, we got some pictures, we spent some time with people, um, I'm glad we threw that together, it was a really good idea, uh, and it was awesome to meet a lot of people who, for some ungodly known reason, like actually listened to us each and every week, it's unbelievable.
2: That was awesome, that was one of the best parts of the week. A lot of people that we think, we we feel like we've known for years, just on Twitter and and the message boards and Facebooks guys we've interacted with but never got to meet face-to-face. And then even people that just showed up and say, hey, I've never messaged you guys, I've never said a word to you, but I listen every week. That was really cool too because there's people out there that we don't really talk to, but they're listening to the show. And it was really cool to feel like you know what we've been saying every week here on, this, on the airwaves has not just gone out to nobody. People are actually paying attention to the show, and that was awesome.
1: Yeah, two two things that I thought were most cool. Um, one, so uh, my dear wife, who many of you probably know, or maybe you don't—I don't, don't know—she's the announcer girl. So she's the one who sometimes does the voiceovers in between segments. For a while, she was actually on the show. Uh, yeah, did I say your wife? I meant my wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, she uh, she did the the voiceovers um, and she does some of the stuff uh, back in the day for um, different headline stuff. So she was uh, she was helping out our good friend Chet, uh, who we got to meet and spend a lot of time with. And uh, she opened the cooler for him because he was looking to put something in there. And she's like, oh, here, I got the cooler. And apparently Chet turned around and looked at him and was like, are you an announcer girl? Which is just so freaking random that like uh, just off hearing your voice (laughs) that people know that. Then later on that day, I'm talking to these two guys, super nice guys. They were in the marching nights talking about the show. And I happened to be standing next to my daughter who was there with us. And um, someone said something about kids. And I kind of pointed over and I was like, yeah, I got mine right there. And the guy goes, oh, is she the one with the history teacher? And I was just like, it's unbelievable, like how much people actually listen to us, and like these little anecdotes of our life, somehow they remember and somehow they know about. Um, it's just crazy, um, and probably the best compliment I got, Mike, halftime Paul, who we had not met, a long time listener, um, was one of the first guys to call in. We did the voicemail. He actually said something. I think is the best compliment. He said, "You guys are just like you sound like on the air, like down to earth. You're, you're the exact same as I." as I hear you on, uh, on the podcast, as you are standing here today, which was awesome. So just a big thanks to everybody who came out, Mikey, to your point. That was probably the, the, the most fun we had the entire day.
2: It was great, man. I loved getting to hang out with these guys. Halftime Paul was awesome. Chet, I think me and Chet are like new best friends now. He, he went with me and my cousin. We went over to the bar for a little while. Once we ran out of beer, we came back. We were hanging out all day. He donated a part of the prize that we're going to do for the, the Pick'Em group that we talk about every week. So i always throw in a hat. i There's probably going to be some basketball tickets in there. He, he donated a really cool uh, Citronaut hoodie that's going to be part of the prize pack. You have it with you now. All right? So that's a really cool thing. Maybe we'll put us a picture of what that thing looks like. But Chet was awesome. Everybody out there was awesome. Missy McAwesome was awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> J.P. Gilbert, Cost Sec Advisor, everybody. I, I can't even go. Diana Mims-Reed, everybody that went out there, Jan and Britt. It was just a party. It was great to see everybody, even if it was only for a few minutes. Some people stayed for hours. and It was a, a great time. I, I, I want to do it again.
1: Well, maybe we will. Who, who knows? We'll see how the season breaks down, Mike. And uh, and But, again, just a big thanks to, to everybody. So let's start off here with probably, you know, typically we would start off with the game breakdown, but there's so much going on around UCF that I feel like we, we – that's, that's back burner news, Mike. Uh, breaking uh, Thursday into Friday – was UCF to the Big Twelve talk? So, for those who may have missed it, or may have been living under a rock, or may have had too much uh, too much to drink during the game, <clears throat> apparently the uh, the Big Twelve people have met and they have decided on four schools that they are uh, hoping will join them: BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and our UCF Knights. Apparently, the schools have to apply. I don't know what that means, Mike. I'm not sure if it's like a job application, but apparently they're waiting for applications from those schools. And an announcement could come as early as this Wednesday, either officially uh, indicating that they have been invited or they have applied or even indicating that they have been accepted to join the conference, Mike. So after it seems like 15 years of trying to find a conference, where are we going to go? You know, who who are we going to land with? Are we going to find something? After all that hard work and effort, all the suffering we've been through, even with the Big 12 in the past, it appears, Mike, we are forty-eight or seventy-two hours away from becoming an official member of a quote unquote power five conference. Can you uh can you believe it? How do you feel about the uh the the news and, and being on the cusp of this potential major
2: milestone for the program? I think fifteen years is undercutting it. This since the program started, when we started in what division three, division two, all the way up to one A and then Division One, and then into Independence and the MAC and Conference USA and um, the American and to where we are now and finally getting into where it feels like the big boy leagues of football to get the big payday that we deserve. I mean, the, the, the money we're getting paid right now in the American Conference is peanuts compared to what we're going to be getting. We're going to double our, our income, maybe more. Triple, maybe yeah. triple what we're getting paid. Yeah, And, and to be playing against Bigger-name schools every week. No more games against East Carolina and Tulsa and Tulane. Now say hello to Kansas in basketball. Say hello to Oklahoma State and, and Baylor, which was a big one of the biggest games in program history. When we played Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl, now we're going to play them every year. Uh, this is huge news for UCF. I, I, I love it for the, the new kids that are – that. Just joining the program now, but I really love it for the old-timers that have been following this program from the beginning, guys that go back further than us. And we've been around for 20 years, but guys that have seen this program grow, and that's the cool part about being a UCF fan. If you're a fan of Florida or or Florida State and programs that have been around for 100 years, they've always been in the SEC. They've always been considered big-time football, whatever it is. To see this program grow step by step by step like we have, it just feels better, man. And it's so cool to see us now take that next leap into the Big 12. I am jacked up for this announcement this week.
1: Well, you mentioned the money. So here's the particulars, at least what we can research so far on the money. So the, the American Conference has a television contract that pays schools about $7 million a year. But there's clauses in that. That's actually a staggered amount. So UCF's not getting $7 million this year. It's probably closer to maybe 4 or $5 million when it all shakes loose. The projections, and these are just projections because obviously we don't know yet, a projected contract of a new Big 12 minus Texas and minus Oklahoma is somewhere in the 20 to $25 million range. Again, that could be staggered again, so who knows. But let's just say if we're making five, Mike, and and we get off the starting figure of 20, that's four times the revenue just on the TV contract alone. Then there's other there's other financial stipulations based on being a quote-unquote Power Five conference that splits money from the playoff and from all that stuff. So there definitely is a huge potential for revenue influx, but they're they're also, I mean, money in, money out on this thing, right? Because in order to get out of the American, here's what has to happen. We have to give them 27 months notice that we want to leave early and we have to pay a $10 million exit fee. Pete Thamel reported just a little bit ago on Monday that the earliest that he thought that the new Big 12, including the four teams that I mentioned earlier, would take shape would be 2023, um, now, just just for for reference, UConn, who was in the American, just left last year. They did not give a twenty-seven month notice. They gave a little bit less than that, uh, and they ended up paying seventeen million dollars to leave. The American asked them for thirty. They actually paid seventeen to get out early. So there are some talk to say, would the Big 12 pick this up? Um, If Texas and Oklahoma want to get out early and go to the SEC, would they offset the cost of some of these schools leaving the American? Obviously, BYU doesn't have to pay anything because they're an independent, but Houston, Cincinnati, UCF would have to pay. Would they offset the cost to get out of the Big 12 early um, to get UCF and the other two schools in? in so there, there is a money component to it, Mike, but right now it's looking like maybe twenty twenty three if all things come to fruition. Perhaps it may be as late as twenty twenty four. And there if if Texas and Oklahoma don't bolt early, you could have one season at least of a fourteen team uh Big Twelve which would include Texas and Oklahoma. So a lot of things still in flux. A a, a lot of these details still need to be worked out, Mike. But to your point, the financials just just seem like, um, at least from that perspective, it's a huge, huge win for UCF.
2: Yeah, Get the lawyers on the phone because these guys are going to make their money now. The buyouts, all that stuff you leave up to them. That year, if Texas and Oklahoma are still in the conference, it's similar to when we joined the American and Louisville and those guys were still here. And we had the one year where if we win, we get the, the New Year's Six. It was guaranteed. And we, we took advantage of it and went to the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor. That's very similar. If we're in a, a conference with Texas and Oklahoma for a year, the winner of that conference may find itself in the playoff. And that all happens to be us that year. Hello, playoff, even with four teams. Hello. So that, that that's a huge, huge deal, man. Uh, this is a giant move for UCF. The, the buildings we talked about. Uh, the extension to the football uh, stadium that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it, it, whatever cost that was, if we're talking about paying that off in 10, 15 years, you're talking about paying it off in three years now, or you're talking about scrapping that whole plan and and doubling the, whatever we were talking about doing. I don't know if Mahadra already had this in mind when he, he presented that. Probably. I'm sure he already knew that this was coming. Yeah. But man, it's going to make it a lot easier to pay that stuff off and get it done in, in, in a more reasonable time.
1: And to to make matters even maybe sweeter, Mike, um, with all this conversation, the cows are nowhere to be found. They are not a part of the conversation. It would appear at this point that they are being left to whatever becomes of an American conference team. So I don't know how people feel about that. Obviously, there's a lot of hurt feelings because the cows um, actively blocked UCF from joining the Big East. Uh, And uh, at that point in time, there are many articles written. Many people opined that the cows were the program of the future and and, and leave UCF in the dust and uh mike my how the tables have turned the cows nowhere a part of this conversation allegedly they were in like the you know the top 8 if you will right so the first 4 as i mentioned earlier they were in sort of the next 4 out not sure how real any of that conversation is mike but cows no need to come to the big 12
2: do we have yeah. a censor on this show are you able to bleep stuff out cuz i'm about to say something right now uh, all hey, right. just m- yeah. mark it down the time okay fuck the cows okay how's that
1: that's because they try yeah. to
2: block <laughs> they blocked us out of the biggies years ago and now they're getting what's coming to them baby and i am so happy that they are not included in this move it makes it even better if we would have gone up and it was a 16 move and the cows were included and they and they stuck around yeah you know, we still would have been happy to go to the big 12 get all the money all that stuff but now to move ahead and leave them behind and leave them with East Carolina and Tulane and Tulsa. And then they have to pick up maybe an FAU who's probably going to pass them by Mm in another year. Oh, how sweet it is to see the cows just football program crumbling before our eyes. They're still just sitting on a rendering of an indoor practice facility (laughs) that they're supposed to break ground on. The day they announce they're breaking ground or when they break ground, we're moving into the big 12. Oh, baby. Screw the cows! This is a great, great development in this story.
1: The holiday Labor Day edition of the Sons of UCF will will uh, will feature some <laughs> curse words, Mike. But let's do that. Let's just not be fanboys for a second, right? Is there a is, if you had to argue the opposite side, the con side for joining the Big Twelve? Can you could you form an argument? What are, what's the argument against joining the Big Twelve? Or what's the argument for you know maybe this not being a great idea for UCF? Do you have any argument points for that?
2: Well, I mean, you say that the Big 12 is maybe not as stable. They're going to lose money from where they're at now Yep. with Oklahoma and Texas leave. But that's still, even if they drop down in money, it's still going to be way ahead of where we are in the American. And the American's going to drop off now with UCF and Cincinnati and Houston leaving. That contract's getting already done, too. They're talking about getting seven. They're going to get two. They're going to get way less than whatever they were supposed to get. Um, The argument could be. That it's a tougher path to the playoff if the playoff does expand to twelve teams or whatever they were talking about before, which doesn't <laughs> look really as likely anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. But if that were the case, yeah, we'd have a lot harder path to get to the playoffs. Where if we stuck in the American, all we have to beat is SMU and Memphis, and we're in. Uh, so I guess that's one way of looking at it. But there's really not much you can see. Basketball, the the level of basketball in the Big Twelve is just tripled. Yeah. from where we were in the America.
1: Johnny better okay? be ready, yeah. Johnny better Especially, be ready.
2: Especially, And we brought over two of the biggest basketball programs in Cincinnati and Houston, teams that have been in the tournament almost every year mm-hmm. to go along with what they already have with Kansas and Kansas State, and Baylor just won the national championship. Yep. So, I mean, the basketball program, you could you could say as a conference basketball is right up there, maybe with the the ACC and the Big East is one of the top <laughs> basketball programs in the country. So uh, I, there's really not much not to like about this move. I don't see yeah. what you
1: can say. Yeah, I try to think both sides of this, right? What, what are the con? The only con, really, and one of the other cons is th- there's not a natural rivalry. So the closest school, I did a little map questing here, Mike. The closest school to us will be West Virginia is about 900 miles away. Um, Houston's about 950 miles away. So we don't have that natural geographic rival. Basically, every road game in conference would be out of the state of Florida. Uh, which you know isn't isn't too uncommon, I guess. In some respects, West Virginia does the same thing currently in the Big Twelve, so it's not too uncommon. But every road game out of conference would be out of the state of Florida. Now, again, you could argue the only road game out of conference right now that's in Florida for us currently are the cows. So I, I guess that doesn't make too much of a difference, Mike. I guess that's one part. The second part is obviously if you think about the uh, the the quote unquote Power Five, um, this really positions. Um, The big 12. Is it is it the weakest of the power five? I mean, is it behind the Pac-12? I guess you could argue that um, kind of all day long. So if there's another round of contraction, if other conferences try to do some other funny business. You know, does does this put, you know, the the big ten um, obviously ACC and SEC in a different sort of class? Do they try to leave and leave behind other conferences? I guess you have to worry about that at some point. But to your point, I can't I can't think of too many cons, um, just outside of the, you know, will the conference last and uh, just not having that natural uh geographic rival for us.
2: You know, rivalries in the history of UCF football has changed I- as we've moved through the divisions. So It was actually this week's opponent, bethune Cookman, we played 16 times. That may be the most we've ever played anybody. You talk about a a team like Georgia Southern when we talked with Darren Slack, that was a big rivalry for us. We go to the Mac and Marshall becomes a big rivalry. We go to Conference USA and East Carolina all of a sudden is a big rival for us. Obviously the rivalry with the cows, it's varied. Memphis has been a big time. We played them 15 times. Other than that, we don't have a long history of rivalry with really anybody. So we move into the big 12. We can build a rivalry. There's already one budding with Cincinnati. Mm So that can be the next rival. Uh, You want to talk about West Virginia? We can burn couches with those guys, too. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, we'll make our own rivalries. We already got a little history with Baylor having played them once. You know, I I don't know. With today's day and age, the the, the message boards and – Twitter and all that stuff. Our fans are engaged with area. BYU. We already played a few times too. We got history with them in the bowl game last year. We played a, a one-on-one series with them earlier in the decade. Yep. So th- there, there are teams that we can build rivalries with. I'm not worried about that part. So as, as, as long as we keep moving up that and doing what's best for us, because let's face it, 10 years from now, we may not be in this conference anymore either. If everything holds, goes to form the way we've been moving up, you know, th- this is just another stepping stone for us.
1: All right, let me ask a question that probably hasn't – there's no way to answer it. Um, And it's one of those hypothetical, uh, you know, uh, reckless speculation questions, which is perfect for the podcast, Mike. So obviously you you know where UCF is at now as we sit here recording September 6th. Um, But obviously things have have changed a bunch um, at UCF in particular since, I don't know, like Feb 1 when a lot of changes happened. So let me ask you this question. Is UCF in the Big 12 if it's not for the hire of Gus Malzahn?
2: I believe we still are. Okay. I believe with the what we've done the last few years, and when the Big 12 looked at expansion back in 2016, we were the top candidate or the top two candidates at that time, and that was before the undefeated season, before 25-game win streak, before the national championship, before all that stuff. Just based on the size of the university, the the direction the football program was going, the amount of money put into the program, the fan base, the – The social media aspect of it and the future fan base of this program, I think there's no denying that you have to include UCF in the future for one of these big conferences. I think we still would have got in. Um, Obviously, it's a lot better now, now that we have a name like Gus Melzon and that doesn't hurt. I can't say it hurts. But even if you have somebody like Jeff Levy, who would have been like a hot shot upstart uh, coach, just like Frost and hypo were. If he were to come in and win that first game at the same time, I mean, the decision was made before this game was played. It was made before the season. Uh, So I, I think we still would've got in, but it definitely makes it easier now to see Malzahn as the future of this program.
1: What about with Danny White as AD? Obviously he ruffled feathers. Uh, fair or unfair. Some people did not like Danny White. They did not like his two for one scheduling stance. Obviously, the quote unquote national championship that he quote unquote claimed everybody yelled at and screamed at. Um if if Danny's still in charge, Mike, do you think there's any hurt feelings or anybody who's like, you know what, I don't we don't want this kind of rabble rouser in our conference?
2: Maybe you get a little more resistance. Maybe you get a couple of people that he annoyed to kind of step up and say, Meh, let's take a Memphis over them, but when you work out the numbers and you work out the fan base, and let, let's say who's really in charge of this decision. It's the networks. It's ESPN. It, it's uh, Fox and those companies that are saying, hey, these are the schools we want to show on Saturday. These are the people that bring viewers every week. They would have made the decision for the Big 12 and said, this is the team you're inviting. I don't care if you like the AD, you like the coach, you like whoever. This is the, people, this is the school that brings the most eyeballs on Saturday. This is the team you need in your conference.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I thought about that a little bit today. You know, would would the difference be um, appreciable if it was still Danny and Josh in charge versus Timo and Gus? Obviously, Gus brings a little bit of that "quote unquote" Power Five credibility, whatever that's worth to people, um, because he's a name, because he's coaching the SEC, because he's got a, a title as an OC in the SEC. You know, would does that name carry more cachet? Does Timo, who appears to be a tad more Uh, amenable to certain things than Danny was that does that help out you know I I think I don't think it's unfair to say Mike after the BYU game if you looked at the UCF uh, arrow things were pointing down at that point right you know it it was a tough season Um, a lot of opt-outs obviously taking place there was a lot of questions about what was happening then we were losing McKenzie at that point Um, the arrow was pointing down I think the uh, the the Gus Timo stuff. Now the arrow is pointing, you know, firmly up. So it almost feels like this is just perfect timing. I do agree with you. I think we would have been on the conversation, but I guess you maybe where this is in, um, and debate is in the margins, right? So if, if you, if you went to the big 12 committee, you know, two weeks ago and they said, Hey, who do you want to invite? You know, and they listed teams on the board, you know, maybe we were one, maybe we were two, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, but, You know, if it's if it's Danny and if it's Josh, maybe we're three, maybe we're four, maybe we're five, and we're debating for four. I think maybe it jumps us up a couple spots, but I still think, to your point, the option would have been there. But I think it's in the margins where things look a little bit different. So maybe now we're we're one, we're two, we're three, you know, somewhere in that ballpark versus being you know four and five and six, which maybe just maybe would have been our position with uh, with Danny and Josh. I don't know.
2: Right. Well, they expanded to four teams. I, I don't think there was any way we were getting left out of four-team expansion. Two teams, I think we still would have been in at this point. But you're right; it, it might have been questionable that with the other regime here if they're only expanded to two. I think BYU was definitely one of the top choices. BYU has a, a very big fan base. They have a, a reputation for football going back to the 80s. Yep. You know, you're talking about Jim McMahon, and the, they they have been around for a long time. So everybody knows BYU. I think they were probably one of the top choices. And then it comes down to us or Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a hot team right now. But uh, I think we bring to the table than those guys. It would have been a tough debate if it was only two. When it was four, I think it was a no-brainer that we got in.
1: Well, either way, so this week apparently there'll be conversations and there'll be more announcements. Again, I'm not quite sure. I know the process. I heard we have to apply. They have to invite us. It's already kind of a done deal. Again, you get the national media types like Pete Amel and whatnot reporting that. Um, you know sort of bet your house on it so we will see obviously we will keep you informed as, as more things um, become available but it looks like early this week or midweek we might be hearing more fish on those mics so so stick around and we'll see what happens with UCF and the Big 12 obviously uh, we'll cover it all on the Suns UCF live later on this week if we have news to uh, to share so don't uh, don't miss that show Mike but you also didn't want to miss the show last night and that was Florida State hosting Notre Dame which was probably one of those things where you're like, why would I care about that? Well, here's why you care about that. Obviously, as you all know, Mackenzie Milton left UCF and is now a member of the Florida State football team. And so many UCF fans tuned in to watch the game and through, I don't know, Mike, the first three and a half, four quarters were probably pretty annoyed and frustrated and disappointed as Florida State didn't look like they had much to offer um, in their starting quarterback, which was not Mackenzie Milton. Jordan Travis struggled and played a little bit inconsistently throughout the game, Mike. But then, out of nowhere, Jordan Travis's helmet pops off, and who knows if the gods have anything to do with that, but his helmet pops off, McKenzie pops in, and for the first time in over a 1,000 days, he's on the field, and uh, and wouldn't you know, it, first pass out, he looks like the same old Casey we've always seen, Mike. Um, I know I, I saw some uh, some uh, social media postings. I know you were watching it live. Um, your your reaction, your emotions when uh, when he trotted out on the field and uh, got that first pass under his belt.
2: Man, I was cursing Norvell for three and a half quarters or whatever it was in this game. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing, this guy. I mean, you've got KZ on the sidelines. He's so lucky that this kid's helmet popped off for him to be forced to be put Mackenzie Milton in the game. And once he was in, he can't take him out. The guy did everything he could. Uh, I was rooting against Florida State all night, and I I've, I've made it clear on here I want KZ to do well, but I want them to lose. And it, last night it worked out perfectly, perfectly. Yeah. KZ comes in, he's the savior. He brings <laughs> them back from 10 points down. Uh, and he looks great out there, and somehow they still blow the game. Norvell can't get out of his own way. But, man, watching this kid come back after seeing him go down that day against the cows, and one of the most devastating injuries you'll see on a football field, to maybe having to lose his leg. And then us as UCF fans watching him just come do the comeback process, uh, rehabilitating his leg, training. We we watched all the videos of him just moving his leg and then going through the workouts and doing the jumps and this and that. And saying last year, every week we were saying, "Is this the week he gets in? Is he going to dress up this week?" Is, we were just praying to see him take the field one more time finally to get to see it last night as soon as he came in i ran to the closet i got my milton jersey out of there i put that baby on and i was rooting for him harder just as much as i would if he was wearing the black and gold i was so happy for that kid he deserved it all and yeah it was a great night great night for mckenzie great night for ucf fans and I'm still happy that Florida State lost. Yeah. I, hate to, I hate to say it, but yeah, <laughs> it, it worked out best for us
1: that way. Yeah, but we needed that uh, that win for Notre Dame to help our chances as we faced Cincinnati. Indiana did not help us out this weekend or last weekend, so we needed that. KZ was five of seven, 48 yards. Did not throw any touchdowns or ints, but led scoring drives. Obviously, made a heads up play too. There was a bad snap. Mikey got the ball and, and threw it away, which potentially saved uh, some yards there. Even though it didn't really matter much when the um, the fsu special teams came on um but I, I was thinking about this too that that's probably the first time he's been hit in over a thousand days because even though he was a scout team quarterback for ucf in, two, in 2020 and even though he went through spring ball in 2021 with uh with florida state in fall practice he was probably non-contact so that was probably the first time he actually faced live tackling live um you know live folks kind of rushing at him and he, he took one right in the chops did a bit of a somersault um, leap back up and, and got right back to it. It was so bittersweet for me to watch because you you saw the kid and you're like, man, I remember this so much. It brings back so much nostalgia. But God almighty, that uniform he was wearing was ugly. Like it's just, to me, there was part of me that's, God, I wish that we could have figured out a way to make that in the black and gold. I get it. I understand why it is how it is. I understand that it almost had to be this way. But man, th- just having him wearing the UCF colors doing that stuff would have just been, uh, you know, just, just incredible. Um, but nonetheless, obviously achieving a goal is huge, you know, being where he's at is huge right now. Um, and we'll see what this means going forward. Obviously Jordan Travis, nine to 19, 130 yards, two TDs, three INTs. He didn't exactly light the world on fire. Uh, who knows what this means for uh, for McKenzie's future? It could very well just be like maybe maybe he's kind of like that relief pitcher, right? Maybe maybe he's on a bit of a pitch count from Norvell. Maybe he's just that relief pitcher who's going to come into games and, and and you know maybe play and and uh, when when they, when they need him, you know maybe it's a, a durability thing or getting himself back up to speed. Because here's the thing, Mike: that FSU offensive line looked atrocious, um, and Jordan Travis is running for his life, and so maybe Norvell. Realized, hey I we can't we can't protect this guy um and so maybe we need to ease him into it who knows what his role is going for maybe he's just a relief pitcher comes in like old school Frank Wright style for the Bills and just leads uh, leads him to victories but either way I mean it was just it was surreal to watch and and you know all of a sudden those old uh you know those old emotions come back when you see him making plays you see that kind of sidearm delivery you see the the way he carries himself on the field uh it was definitely cool to uh, to get a chance to witness
2: Man, he made some vintage KZ plays. I think it was a third and a 11, third and 12. He he sneaks it just over the linebacker's head. Beautiful pass. Only where the receiver can get it first down. How about the play where he's getting pressured and he just kind of improvises and does a little shovel pass. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a huge play for him. You mentioned the one where he, he picks up the bad snap, throws it out of bounds. How about the other one where he just uh, – there was another bad snap, I think, in there too that he kind of uh, helped him out on. The guy – Is a a winner. He's a great football player. I'm happy to see him. I'm glad I didn't have to see him do the tomahawk chop. Yes. If they would have won and he would have done that, that would have hurt a little. But guess what, man? The Florida State schedule lightens up a lot now after this game. I think going up to the Clemson game, there's a few games where I think he's going to get a lot of playing time. He's going to get some. He's going to get a couple of wins under his belt. And when they play Miami and when they play Florida there's no holding back. I am all FSU that day. If he's playing now, if Jordan Travis is playing. I'm probably not even watching those games. Uh-huh. But if, if Milton's playing, Oh man, I am definitely all in. I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm doing the chop myself, but uh, it'll be close.
1: And, and I will say that a couple things about nine nation one, I mean, uh, Twitter was just blowing up last night from Knight fans, even national media guys. Um, you know, UCF sent a film crew. They had a they had a video out recognizing KZ before Florida State even had the video out. Um, you know, th- so just the, the the way that the Knight uh, Nation em- embraced uh, McKenzie and everything he's been through. I I, I read that um, uh, uh, the team physician uh, was there and the and trainers were there. Obviously, all of his former and current teammates were were talking about it on social media just just the way KZ embraced uh was just really awesome to see because they they're again if if some people had hurt feelings like I You hope they wouldn't, but I guess you can understand it maybe a little bit, but it doesn't seem like anybody feels that way at all, and there's just nothing but love for KZ. Um, And that makes you feel good, obviously, because, you know, again, I'd love to see it happening in black and gold. Um, I'd love to see that something, you know, happening in the bounce house and having 45,000 people just probably crying their eyes out as he plays. You know, I don't know if Florida State fans appreciated it as much as UCF fans did. But uh, either way, you got to feel happy for the kid. And, and it's cool to see Night Nation rally around him, even though he's not wearing the right uniform right now.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, there is not a night fan that is not rooting for McKenzie Melton. No, let's put it that way. Now, some of us are like me. where We don't want them to actually win. And, and <laughs> it turned out great, exactly what happened. He comes in. He plays great every week. Somehow Norvell finds a way to screw it up. But uh, a great, great story for McKenzie. Probably one of the best stories we'll see in college football all year.
1: Well, one of the other best stories, Mike, happened on Thursday night. That was UCF Boise, and what an incredible game that was! Let's uh, let's get into our, 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 I guess, our breakdown, our recap here. We'll take a quick little um, uh, siesta here, and we will come back after this, and we will give you the Sons of UCF style Boise State UCF game breakdown. Go, go anywhere! You don't want to miss what Mike and I have to say. Coming up next.
0: is UCF head football coach Gus on, and you should listen to the sons of UCF like your hair is on fire go Knights and charge on
1: all right UCF topples Boise 36 31 and here's how we do things around here at the sons UCF we do a breakdown of the game, and, and uh, one of our early shows, Mike, we did something called Good, Bad, and Ugly, and some guy who was a writer, I think for the banner right at the time, got mad because apparently he invented the words Good, Bad, and Ugly. So we showed him, and we reinvented our Good, Bad, and Ugly, and we now name it after previous bowl games that UCF has been a part of. So we have two categories that are on the positive side, two categories on the negative side. So the, sort of the best category we call the peach, uh, the second best category we call the Liberty 2010 Liberty. Uh, and then the worst category is kind of the, the first worst and maybe not as bad uh, is the uh, um, uh, what is it the Hawaii Bowl, Mike. And then uh, the last one is a new addition this year It is the uh, the Boca Bowl. It was previously the cura Bowl, but now the Boca Bowl is the worst thing that happened. It's the worst of the worst. It's terrible. It's negative. It's not great. So. Those are our categories, Peach, Liberty, Hawaii, and Boca. That's how we break the game down. Mike and I will give you three different things, and we'll tell you what category we felt like it fell in, and uh, you're not going to get this kind of breakdown anywhere else. Uh, That I promise you, because we will reach high and low to give you the information, Mike. So I'll let you lead off. Your first thing in your first category is who or what?
2: We're starting off with the Peach, right? The best thing in the game we saw this week. I'm going to the obvious. Isaiah Bowser. The guy was a workhorse this game. 33 carries, 172 yards with a touchdown. Throw in another four catches, 29 yards. Uh, The screen pass was a huge play in this game. He made a catch with one hand and a hip at one point. (laughs) He gave see the ball coming, still made the play. He showed patience. He was shifty. He hit the holes. He did everything you want out of a running back. When we're down 21-0, the first play in that drive, he starts it off with a 30-yard run to get things going. In the third quarter, he wears down that Boise defense. 13 carries and 60 yards in the third quarter alone. And the touchdown he scored to give us the lead to make it 36-31. He was the player of the game. Gus Malzahn raving about him in in the press conference today. Not just for his running, but for his pass protection. And that's probably why he was in on so many of those plays, because not only did he run and catch and do all that stuff, but to to block for Dylan and give him the time to throw the ball, he did everything as a running back. Isaiah Bowser, player of the game, He gets the peach for week one.
1: Not only that, Mike, I think we had always talked about or thought that he'd be kind of the, the bigger back at UCF, right? The guy yeah you're bringing on third and one and he knocks a dude over and he certainly feels like he can do that but I, I guess I didn't realize how shifty he was I mean he was getting in the hole he was making cuts he was cutting back he was juking guys you know he, he wasn't just a sort of a straight line runner and knock somebody over you know he was definitely shifty and, and making some moves now he didn't have the top end speed we're maybe used to at UCF running backs right from an Otis Anderson or an AK or even a Greg McCray. But, he, you know, he got uh, to the line, and he was making guys miss. He was cutting back left and right. Uh, he ripped off a couple of big runs. might get a long of 30, uh, which, again, maybe in previous UCF years would have been a 50-yarder. But uh, I guess I, I typecast him as just because he's a big guy that he's just going to run guys over. But I was impressed with his, his his shiftiness because he didn't just hit the hole and just go forward. I mean, he was making dudes miss, which I, I didn't know he had that skill set.
2: Yeah, uh, he kind of took me by surprise too. Uh, <laughs> you could see him just – Kind of, he was. He had the patience of Greg McRae. He had the workhorse ethic of like a Kevin Smith. He he showed he's got some speed. He didn't break really long ones, but he he did get through a, on a couple of them. Uh, he just showed that he's an all-around running back, and that, that's refreshing to see. Not just a no, no knock on Killens or Otis those guys that are just burners, but you can tell you can say, hey, put this guy up the middle, and you don't have a problem with it, right? Or you could even say, throw it off to him on the screen pass and see what he does. That way, he, he does everything. And uh, I, I loved watching him play on Thursday night. I
1: mean, and and Gus just kept feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. And we were in the in the stands. We were joking around like, how many carries does this guy have? I mean, we thought he had like up 40-plus carries because it felt like you know, like every play he was getting the ball. Um, And obviously Gus either was trying to wear down um, the, you know, sort of the the D-line of Boise, just trying to kill some clock, uh, recognize this was the fastest way to kind of get points. Uh, You know, obviously Dylan got uh, dinged up late in the game. Maybe there was some, you know, some concern about what he could do. But, I mean, and he just kept kind of going to him, going so much so that if you don't count Dylan Gabriel, the only other running back UCF had that had carries was Johnny Richardson with three. Uh, so uh, really, 36 runs from running backs. Uh, Bowser had 33 of them. Which, if if there's any concern, Mike is, let's not wear this guy into the ground. Uh, obviously, you know we we lost two running backs right off the start with R.J. Harvey and Montavious Thompson. Uh, so we're already a bit, a bit thin at that position. Um, you know, Gus made it seem like 33 was not the number he wanted Bowser to get. But, you know, he was kind of riding the hot hand and riding what he saw. So if there's any concern, it's just, man, can can he, can he keep this up throughout the rest of the season? Uh, not because he's not a good player, but 33 carries a game. I mean, that's like an hurdle. NFL guys don't get that number of carries a, anymore in, in games uh, with the way that people split running backs. So, um, you know, obviously he was very durable in game one. But we, we may need to make sure we find guys to spell him if that means Johnny Richardson, who, again, pl- played well. He had three carries, uh, 19 yards. But you know he just wasn't kind of the big back that that Bowser was. Um, so does that mean we see more of Damaris Good? Uh, we see more of Anthony Williams? Obviously, we just brought in Woody Barrett, who seems like he's a bit of a an RV himself. So do we see those guys coming in? Because 33 carries a game for Bowser, not, not that he's not good enough, Mike, but that's gonna be that's gonna be wear and tear as the season goes on.
2: Yeah, that cannot happen every week. So this week works out perfect. We're playing Bethune should be a week where you get other guys carries you know bowser maybe plays the first half and then that's it for him you get richardson in there you get the other guys you mentioned then you have a big game at louisville where he may get a bigger load again and then you have a bye week again so hopefully in this first half of the season this first quarter of the season gus finds a way to give him some breaks here and there but if he's going to be the main guy going forward, I mean, Kevin Smith was getting 30-plus carries every week when George yep. was around. Yep. Uh, and Bowser is the guy with experience. He He's had a lot of carries in, in games when he was at Northwestern also. So it, it's not something new to him, but it, it's something that you you can't uh, rely on every week, 30-plus carries for one kid. Yeah. That's a lot, especially late in the season. We want him to be fresh late in the year. You know, so when the championship game comes around, and the bowl game comes around, he can still give us 25, 30 carries then. And we can't burn him out too early.
1: Well, the the good thing, and hopefully Gus doesn't, right? It sounds like he's aware of it. At least the good thing about this, Mike, and I think the biggest difference between this year and last year, and again, this is going to feel like, you know, hypel bashing at this point. I don't, I don't think we win that game under Hypel. And, and here's why. I think Gus made the adjustments, recognized the advantage, and stuck with it. He recognized that Bowser was going to be able to get a bunch of yards, and that was going to set up some of the easy pass plays that we were getting, some of the shorter routes and some of the, you know, the quick hitters that, that Dylan was able to throw. And to me, that that's the difference between this year and last year is Gus realized where the advantage was and took advantage of it, where Hypel just wanted to do what he wanted to do, Gus was like, "Hey, this is where we can we can get one over on these guys. This is how I can set up my offense." And, and and it's interesting to hear him say that this wasn't the plan. And that just goes to tell me, hopefully, that Gus realized halfway through, like, man, this is what we got to do to beat these guys. Let's just do it. And he he adapted. He adjusted. Um, I, again, it doesn't sound like he had 33 carries in the script for Bowser in the game. Uh, and so he made the adjustment. He saw what he saw. He recognized what was happening. He rode the hot hand. He made it happen. And I think ultimately that's what brings his victory out, which, again, is a huge night and day difference, I think, in my opinion. Again, not bashing a night and day difference between this year and last year?
2: Well, Malzahn's been saying for weeks and I don't know how much we wanted to believe him, but he's been saying he's going to learn more in the first half of the first game than he probably has all off season. And I think he did. He learned right away that Bowser was the guy that he can trust and he can go to. And the, the adjustments at halftime, I mean, good, good, goodness gracious. We talked about first and second half, Randy last year. How about the defense, the second half adjustments, we stuffed them in the second half. At one point, they were about negative 30-plus yards in the second half of that game. Uh, just brilliant uh, adjustments by the whole coaching staff and the team and, and to figure out what was working and what was not working and do it on the fly, something we're not used to having seen the last couple of years.
1: Well, that leads me right into to my first category, Mike. I'm going to also give a peach away. And I'm going to give it away to the D line plus a linebacker. I'm going to cheat a little bit here, but you you mentioned the the, the defensive play, Mike, and that was led by the D line. Kalia Davis was named the the defensive player of the week for the conference this week, uh, and for good reason why. Mike, here's a couple of stats that you want to know. Uh, so, 20 net rushing yards the entire game. 20 net rushing yards, uh, and and that front four particularly was was stout. Plus. Um, Plus, one of the linebackers that I'll get to in a second. Kalia Davis, again, uh, player of the week. He had four. Um, uh, sorry, three tackles for a loss. He had six tackles overall. He had one hurry. Your boy, the big cat, half a tackle for a loss, three tackles, two hurries. Ricky Barber, one and a half tackles for a loss, four tackles in a hurry. And then JJB, Mike, Jermaine Jean-Baptiste, two tackles for a loss, nine tackles overall, and one hurry. Those four guys in particular were just all over the place. And, and whatever Boise tried to get started in the running game was just not happening. Now to your point, in the first quarter, it definitely wasn't. Uh, did not feel um, a- as good as it maybe it should have. But um, that defensive line in particular was just was just stuffing um, anything that Boise wanted to do up front, getting pressure on Bachmeyer, shutting down the entire um, you know, the entire running game. Like here are Boise's drives from the second quarter on: punt, field goal, punt, 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 safety when they uh, when the um, long snapper snapped it over the head. Uh, of the punter, another punt, a TD, which to be fair, started on UCF's 31 after a Neil and Gabriel interception. And then the end of the game on interception, Mike, that, those are the, from the second quarter on, that's, that's what the defense put up. Uh, and again, just a, 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 an overall solid effort uh, across the board. Um, even some, some guys. And, and, uh, you know, I was looking at um, even the game itself, you know, one of the things that I had talked about, and maybe this is where I need to take an early L is I had asked about Bryson Armstrong and what kind of, what kind of player he was, Mike, I thought he struggled early in the game. Um, and, and, and to his credit, T-Will looks like subbed him out a bunch because <clears throat> he only played 45 plays. Um, Bullard got 56 plays, and then Dylan Lester, who obviously came up with the big INT, he had 28 plays down the road. So adjustments were made, and that D-line particularly, and, and, and J.J.B., Mike, they were huge.
2: Yeah, uh, we were asking which one of the linebackers is going to step up. John Baptiste stepped up week one, and the defensive line that we've been touting all offseason – Kalia Davis sitting out last year. That, that was a bigger loss than I think we were all willing to admit last year. The, the guy is a beast up front. We definitely missed him. He came back with a vengeance in week one. Uh, the big cat wreaking havoc. Even though the numbers don't show he put up that big of a game, he was involved. And, and even on that interception late in the game, getting pressure on the quarterback to, for him to make that throw. Uh, all around great effort by the defense. Really stepped it up the second half. We mentioned they shut Boise down. Boise had – they could do nothing in the second half of that game until the very end where they got that one scoring drive. But by then it was too late, and these guys took <coughs> over this game on Thursday night.
1: Well, and again, that scoring drive, uh, you know, they started the 31, right? So while well, well, certainly you want them to stop that, the advantageous field position helps out. Here, here's something that I thought was really interesting, Mike, and I don't know if it means anything or not. This is just my personal preference. Um, but T. Will was on the sideline. So we had been used to Randy being up in the box – um, and and Willie Martinez essentially was kind of the de facto guy in the sidelines of previous years. Having T Will down on the sideline with his energy, you saw the end of the game. He's he's running around like he made the play. Um, I think that's infectious. I think that helps out a lot. I love having T Will on the sideline.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always nice to have the guy, especially a guy with energy like that. You know, getting given the the chest bumps and the high fives. Uh, he's a, a young, energetic guy. I, I like to see. The, I, I kind of always <laughs> like to have a defensive coordinator on the sidelines anyway. Yeah, I, think that, I, I think it works out better that way. Sometimes you want to have the offensive coordinator up in the booth. I think that works. But with Gus calling the plays himself, it doesn't really make a difference. So both those guys down there to be able to communicate with everybody, I think really works out.
1: Well, a couple other interesting things when you look at snap count, Mike, two guys who I think we thought would play a lot and play a big role. Um, Eric Gilliard only played 23 plays. For context, um, J.J.B. played 30, or 60, rather. Tatum Bethune played 39. Derek Gaines, who we thought would be a starter in the secondary, only played six plays. So, uh, obviously, T. Will figured out who his guys were and and rode those guys. Um, And he wasn't afraid to make switches, right? Uh, uh, Bullard played 56 plays. Uh, And so some guys that we weren't really counting on, Mike, really ended up stepping up and playing a a huge role in this game.
2: Bullard led the team with tackles, nine tackles. Uh, Devontae Brown. (laughs) Another one, six tackles. Um, so, this is going to be a work in progress. The, the rotation, they're going to figure out. And, the, and they had to make an adjustment at a half or whatever it was. And then this week, this is going to be kind of like a uh, – I don't want to call it a spring game kind of or a scrimmage game because it's a game we should easily win. But this is a game where you work out who, what the best rotations are, what the best fit is, com- the best combination in the backfield and things like that. So, uh, it's still going to be a work in progress And maybe all the way through this first month of the season Until they really settle in on who's getting the most played on
1: A couple interesting stats <clears throat> We had zero sacks on the game Which is odd um, Nine TFLs And then eight QB Hurries Boise had zero QB Hurries So for context we had eight Boise had zero So um, so that obviously the defense stepped up big And that helps the second half comeback Mike, what's your second category? What do you have?
2: I right, call this one the Liberty. It's something that's good, maybe not as great as the Peach, but still very good. I've got the end of the half and the start of the third quarter. This is where the game changed completely. Now, if you listened to the show last week, I said it, and you agreed with me. If we win the coin toss, let's take the ball first yeah. and go down and score, right? Good thing Gus didn't listen to us. Good thing Gus made an adult decision here and said, you know what, for – Yeah, that might be cool if we get the ball early, get the crowd into it. But half the crowd wasn't even there. So maybe that factored into it a little. But he decided, I want the ball to start the second half. And that changes everything. This was the entire game. The the whole game flipped. And I said it to you when it happened. We scored with six seconds to go at the end of the first half. That's when I first said, OK, I think we're going to win this game. The play to Titus, that was probably the play of the game where you see Dylan look like McKenzie in the in the Peach Bowl, where he, he jukes the guy out with, with a couple moves and making plays with his feet, and then the throw, and Titus into the corner, keeping his feet in balance. Just a, a thing of beauty. When we score there, I say, okay, we're going to win. When we come out and score to start the, the third quarter, I knew we were going to win. That was an eight-play drive, 84 yards. Uh, and no doubt in my mind, even though we were still down three that we, we had taken this game over, and this is the way to do it, man. No lead is safe against us, especially at home. If if we can end the half with the ball and then start the half with the ball, you can kill a lot of games that way. You can put games away that way. If we're up in a game and maybe we're not cruising, it's 14-7, and you do something like that to a team, and all of a sudden it's 28-7, and then it's Bowser time for the fourth quarter, uh, that's good night for a lot of teams. This is the way to go, and plus – You show trust in the defense. You start off the game on defense every game. Fine. I think we trust our guys to go out there and make a stop to start the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get the ball back. There's still no score. And then we get the ball to end the half and to start the second half. That's the way to go from now on. Every time we win the the coin toss, I say we defer to the second half.
1: Hard to argue that. I mean, I I think the coolest thing about the Titus play was, and that wasn't, uh, I don't think that was the intended receiver. I think Dylan got flushed out a little bit. He had to improvise and and obviously found Titus, a true freshman who kind of falls his way back in the end zone for for a TD there, which to your point definitely set the momentum. Gus himself said, you know, that was huge um, leading into the second half. Obviously we come right back out after that um, and Dylan throws a a TD pass to, uh, to Brandon Johnson. Uh, and and to your point, it's a whole new ball game. So uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, in in my view, in your view, in our view, we thought take the ball and you you go down the field right off the bat. If you win the coin toss and you show them this is a new era of UCF football, and Mike, maybe we were wrong, right? Maybe we all thought the offense was going to be the thing that drove Gus. Maybe our defense will carry us, right? And we saw that this uh, you know in this particular game, you know, m- maybe we we lean more as a defensive team based on the uh, what we saw. Now, obviously, a lot of good teams in the in the conference and a lot of good offenses will will face. But maybe just maybe maybe we're we're going to be more defensive minded and let the offense continue to win his games. Um, we're under hype, We were just we were relying on the offense to score fifty, and the defense to only give it forty five, uh, and so maybe maybe that gets flipped this year. And uh, I don't know, Mike. That sounds like a welcome change if you ask me.
2: Yeah, it's more balanced for sure. I think the most balanced team we had was probably that twenty thirteen team where we had a, a really good defense. And an offense with weapons that can go out and score on anybody. Talk about Bortles to Godfrey and Renell Hall and and that whole receiving core, J.J. Wharton, and then the defense to back it up with Terrence Palmer and company. I think that's the most balance we've had since then. Now maybe this team will, will have that same balance, and we trust in the defense, something that we definitely didn't have last year, and even the year before in 2019, uh, games where you know I don't think. We really had a hundred percent trust that the defense would come up with a stop when we needed it. but that now things maybe are turning around for us in this Gus era and and giving the, the defense a rest with, with Bowser you know with nice long drives and kind of calm <laughs> things down when we need it. I, I love the way Gus managed this game and it all started with the coin toss and all the decisions he made turned out to gold in this game.
1: All right well that leads me to my second then this is I, I wrote down in my paper Hawaii ish. Because I think this is kind of in the, in the line between liberty and Hawaii, so it's like a, a low liberty, a high Hawaii type of category. But I wrote Hawaii-ish down, Mike, and that was Dylan Gabriel in the offense. And obviously, for for you know uh, as great a game as Dylan had, right? He had uh, 300 yards passing, four touchdowns. I don't know about you, but there was just something about the offense that just didn't seem like it was really fully clicking. Uh, obviously, we know a couple of things off the bat. First of all, turnovers. Dylan threw one of the worst passes I think we've ever seen him throw. Um, I think he indicated maybe it slipped out of his hand. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. It's hard to tell on the on the replays. But he literally threw it right to um, to a guy who then took it a hundred yards back. Which, if you were in the game. First of all, good for you because it was late. But second of all, that just took the air right out of the stadium. I mean, you could have just—I mean, people were just sitting, standing in the aisles, just with their their surrender cobra, surrender cobra pose pose because it was just, it was, it was bad at that point. He then threw another pick later in the game, like which again gave Boise the lead back. He threw another ball in the second quarter that absolutely should have been picked off, and Boise dropped it. uh, Which if they pick that off, that obviously kills momentum. So it just seemed like he was a bit a step. Just not in sync throughout the entire night. There were a few times in the pocket he got happy feet a little bit, um, you know, maybe held on to the ball a little bit too long. It just felt like he wasn't fully in sync, fully in rhythm. I guess that's to be expected, right? Because this is his first time in the new offense, and you know, a lot of a lot of new things are happening. Um, But it just didn't seem like there was that that precision that we would have liked to have seen in offense. Now the good news is, when we needed to, we turned it on. But the reality is, it did not necessarily manifest itself throughout the entire ball game a couple of interesting stats pro football focus does a lot of in uh, in-depth uh, analysis when when dylan was pressured um he had probably his worst scores in terms of the way pro football focus looks at that so when he got pressured that's when he kind of uh, struggled the most now to be fair both of his 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 interceptions did not come from pressure but there are a few times like he was scrambling out of the pocket and he was like where's this going um and he ended up having to, to make throws either good throws or bad throws um, it just did not seem like we were fully in sync. Now again, we made plays when we had to. Obviously, Bowser, you know, in the running game really helped out, but the passing game in particular just didn't seem, um, you know, as good. What, interesting th- to note too, Mike, when you think of Dylan Gabriel, you think of his two years at UCF so far. It was the deep ball, right? That's that's where he was. He only threw six passes over 20 yards in this game. He went three or six, three of six on on those six passes. He was 15 of 21 from zero to 19 yards. I tried to look up to see how that compares to his last couple seasons at UCF, but some of those stats just aren't aren't available. But I feel like more than six... Uh, would have been the number of of balls turned over twenty yards. So he's obviously got to make some adjustments. The old line had a little bit of struggle here and there. Marcus Tatum three penalties. He gave up a sack. Sam Jackson gave up two sacks. There were a couple of hurries, of course. So and 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 to credit the old line, a lot of that stuff got cleaned up. Obviously, you saw um, what uh you know what what Bowser was able to do and and how he was able to score, Mike. But it just didn't seem like the offense, particularly the passing game, was really clicking throughout it was really consistent throughout so I'm going to give that a Hawaii-ish because I, I think there's definitely room to improve as we as we move on throughout the season
2: right the very first drive he was moving the ball right down the field no problem once he throws that interception I think that kind of I don't want to say kills his confidence but he's probably second guessing himself a little bit for the next couple drives could get into a rhythm right away that interception that was dropped was Low key, maybe one of the biggest plays of that game. We're down twenty-four-seven yeah. with a minute and a half to go before the half. They intercept that ball. Uh, we either go into the the half down seventeen or more. If Boise goes back and scores, that could be a thirty-one-seven game at the half. Instead, it, it, that turns into a touchdown, cuts it to a ten-point game. That is a huge play of that game. And from then on, he, he looked okay. He was settled in. When he, really, when he hit that long pass to, to J-Flash, yeah. uh, that, that was, I think, uh, there was no doubt he was going to be fine the rest of the game. But then he did have that one interception after that. So, yeah, uh, Things will get cleaned up. He, he only had four interceptions all of last season. He threw two on Thursday. Probably should have had three. But uh, I, it's a new system. It's new play calling. Like you said, not throwing deep all the time. Something he's going to adjust to. I think he'll be fine in the long run. Maybe it's just gonna take him a week or two to get it adjusted.
1: Well, I, the one thing he did do that you and I both talked about during the game. Uh, he used his feet. He was 12, uh, 12 rushes for 80 yards. So he, he was he was smart about getting out of the pocket. He slid. He got down, except for that one two-point conversion where he got walloped. Um, he was he was safe. He protected himself. Um, but 12 of 80, keeping the defense honest, I think that obviously kept uh, kept things opened up. Um, and, and, and to your point, when we needed plays, he was usually able to go back and make them. But it just wasn't as sharp as we would have liked and even those INTs that second INT the second actual INT um was a bad ball I I, I feel like Ryan O'Keefe could have battled that one a little bit um the defender just re- got right in front of him and, and O'Keefe didn't even make any sort of um sort of position or move on the ball now again it's you know maybe there's not a whole lot he could do but you know fight for the ball make a make a swipe at it something so perhaps there was just a miscommunication because it seemed like that one uh just didn't seem on the same page with the first one just seemed like a really bad throw one of those you know as soon as you throw it you go oh my god I want that one back Um, And my God, why can't we tackle that guy, by the way? But I think the the deep ball is interesting. He he's not throwing it as much. Forty seven yards was his longest pass. That was the J Flash. Um, I feel like you know he he had a bunch of passes that uh, last year that was you know well over that in, in each game. So it's going to be an adjustment. I think we're going to be okay, but definitely a, a tad of a struggle. So I'm going to give I'm going to give Hawaii ish to Dylan in the sort of the passing game because I feel like we still have, we still have some room um, to improve there. Mike, what's your uh, your third and final category? What do you got?
2: There, you just told me we were doing four. Were we doing three or four? Because I originally had three. If you got when it started, the segment came up. You said there was four. Well, I said so there's so sort four of different category
1: types, but we're only going to do ah. three. So if you want to throw okay. an extra one in there, it's first. It's first week. Who cares?
2: <laughs> no, it's fine. I was kind of scrambling for a fourth. Okay. Okay. I'm ready to go. <laughs> just the three. The Boca Bowl. The worst thing of the game. We've kind of been touching on it here. Down 20, going down 21, nothing in this game. Was a real uh, kick in the balls, man. I mean, coming off the Boca Bowl itself, when we were down, it seemed twenty-one nothing in the first five minutes. To have it happen again in the very next football game we watched, I was scared. I was very scared. I heard you. I I don't know if I misheard you, but I think I heard you over my shoulder say, "I miss Heifel." Did, did those words come out of your mouth? <laughs> 21-0. Did I hear you say you missed Heifel at some point. <laughs>
1: it's, it's, it's a lot. It was a lot of blur. A lot of things were blur that night.
2: <laughs> we were getting torn apart. This Khalil Shakir was doing whatever he wanted to us. He was tearing us up. And obviously, the 100-yard interception. Uh, that pass, I mean, I watched the replay again. He had Brandon Johnson open in the corner. He just yes. puts it over that guy's head. That's a touchdown. That drive is a beautiful drive work hard, but he throws it straight to this guy. I have to believe him when he says the ball just slipped out of his hands because there's no other explanation for it. And then nobody is able to even get within a uh, an arm's length of this guy. He's going 100 yards down the field. Man, that really sucked the wind out of everybody. And then for them to come back and score a couple more times, it took a while for Dylan to get into rhythm like we just mentioned. But when I told you in the Boca Bowl when we were down 21-0, I, this is exactly where we want him, right? You didn't believe me that day. But it turned out. This is exactly where we wanted Boise mm-hmm. down 21 nothing. We lulled them to sleep a little bit and then boom, fireworks <clears> time. <throat> uh, I knew once it was 24 14 at the half, we were going to win that game. Uh, so, but th- just that start, let's not do that again. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, there's only a couple of these a year that we're allowed to have. I'm getting older now. I'm in my 40s. I can't have more than four games a year, tops, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, down to the wire. And we already got one out of the way. I'll save one for the conference championship game. I'll save one for the bowl game, maybe a Cincinnati game during the season. I can't do this every week. Hmm. So week one usually is not <coughs> nail-biting time, yeah. but it was this season. Uh, good to get it out of the way, but let, let's not do that again.
1: Well, I mean, to uh, to your point, 21-point deficit, I think, is, ties the largest comeback in UCF history. I think it's the largest comeback ever by a Gus Malzahn coach team. Probably not the way he envisioned his start. Mike uh, is sitting there uh, with 12:50 to go in the second uh, quarter, down 21 nothing. Um, and, and again, that next drive on the way out, I mean, that's a that's a beautiful ball to to Alec Holler, um, and I think it's uh, Squints on Twitter at Squints15. I think his uh, his handle is. He had a really good breakdown of the way that 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 broke out, just the play design from Gus, the way that he he pulled uh, he pulled the tackle to the other side. He had a wheel route clearing out the side, and uh, how Holler was wide open. He actually had a second receiver open who slipped on the top as well. Um, and that's just the, the the difference of play design. Mike is, you know, Gus. It seemed like when Gus needed to come back with a with a good play call, he knew what he was going to do. He was prepared. He didn't panic, and he, he had a play call ready to go. That Holler touchdown is huge because obviously we we got the momentum, um, at least started back in our favor a little bit. Now, granted, they came back down and scored um, a field goal after that, but. Really, that that was the starting point in it. So I agree wholeheartedly that that, and I got to imagine on that interception, nobody thought that was going to happen. So I can't imagine anybody from UCF, anybody on the field at that. The other, you know, outside of Dylan, the other ten guys, I can't imagine anybody thought that was going to be the outcome. So I I don't, I don't fault them for not chasing him down because they were probably like you and I were, which which was like, what just happened? Um, And by the time they turn around, this guy's at the fifteen, and you know, we got some fast guys, but I guess no one you know, no one was at the right angle. So I, I get, I don't fault them too much because I think the, whatever the 30,000 or 20,000 was in the stadium, we were all in the same position, which was like, did that really just happen? So I guess I can understand why somebody on the, on the field was just kind of like, I can't believe that just took place. There's no way that just took place.
2: Yeah, I think Ryan O'Keefe actually made an effort to get he down did. there. But if you watch the replay, Boise made a couple big blocks as soon as they started going back the other way. Uh it was, it was going to be tough to catch the kid but man i think that's the longest play ever against a UCF team i think 85 yards was the prior record being down 21 nothing uh that happened in Louisville on the road and it happened one other time i forget again too in like 1985 twice we've come back from a deficit like that uh something we don't want to do again it right it's cool when when you actually see it at the, at afterwards and say hey we did it but living through it kind of it, it's not good for the heart
1: you no, know, at 12.50 in the second quarter, I turned to the guy across the, the railing from me, and I was like, is this really happening? And he looked at me, and he was like, bro, I don't know. Uh, and, and luckily, <laughs> things uh, things turned around from there. So uh, so my category, Mike, my book I'm giving a Boca out as well. I'm going to give this one to, I don't even know who, UCF Stadium Operations. Operations um, um, I, I don't really know who gets this one, Mike, but the obviously we're all aware the game is supposed to kick at seven um you know shortly before kickoff time there's there's a huge storm that comes through orlando uh lightning delay starts happening and and you know more and more lightning comes anything within eight miles requires i think it's a 30 minute um 30 minute delay at the most so here's the problem like so it starts lightning people are waiting to get into the game some people had already gotten in they take all the fans who were in the stands bring them out of the stands which is the right thing to do metal bleachers lightning not a good idea but for the other twenty to 30,000 people who were lining up outside, none of those people were able to get in. So you had twenty to 30 I don't even know the number, 1,000 people outside waiting to get in in a lightning delay. They could not get in now, so they're all still standing outside. It's still lightning, by the way. Then the torrential rain comes. There's nowhere for people to go. So people started running for the hills. They're getting back to their car. They're just, you're trying to duck and find something. We were good because we still had the tailgate guy's tent. So we just, we just camped out under there. But then the challenge became no one knew when the game was starting because there's no cell phone service anywhere near the bounce house, right? So getting any signal was bad. And there's no sort of announcements happening outside. If you're not standing outside the stadium, you can't hear the PA guy, Jeff Sharon. You can't hear what he's saying. There's no, like, mass communication, like, text message or anything that's going out. It's telling you of game time. So nobody had any idea when the game was starting. People are outside in a lightning storm, nowhere to go, nowhere to kind of take uh, uh, shelter and and get to safety, which probably caused a lot of people just to run to their cars because they just wanted to get out of the place. At that point, we're like, well, we're in the car. We might as well go home, which probably contributed to a lot of people not sticking around um, for actual game time, which kicked at 946. Now I get it was late and a lot of things going on as well. But it feels like something has to change there. Leaving, uh, I'm not saying let everybody into the bleachers. I get that. But maybe let people in and let them kind of hang out in the concourse under some safety. You know, let people get into the cabana. They could have hung out back there in the cabana um, and, and, and maybe been okay. Could have hung out downstairs in the lower bowl. Um, it just felt like we trapped a lot of people outside and then there was no communication. You and I were in the tent going, what time's the game starting? Why don't we have any beer left? What are we doing here? Is there a tornado coming? There was just a lack of information kind of flowing through at that point in time, which probably contributed to a, a lot of people leaving, but B could have been worse had something had happened. So my, my Boca goes to just the UCF stadium operations, whoever's in charge of that, just the, the protocol, the plan, the communication just w- was not firing at all cylinders. No pun intended during, uh, during the game.
2: Yeah, I missed opportunity, too, by UCF. If for you let people money, money, money stadium, baby. yeah, sell some beers. People were waiting around two and a half hours. They could have made a lot of money selling some hot dogs and beers while people were waiting for the game to start. And then keeping people out of the rain, I'm sure they would have been really appreciative of that. I was so happy we got that tent. I was, oh we mentioned how cool it was to meet everybody. How cool was it when everybody's standing in front of the stadium getting soaked and we're sitting there just under our tent nice and cool with a beer and some potato salad. That was nice. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, in the future, it'd be nice to, to know exactly what was going on. If we weren't that close, we wouldn't be able to hear Jeff Sharon over the speaker. Yeah. But uh, uh, we lucked out. But yeah, I mean, let people in. Let Get them under cover, at least. And you can tell them, don't go into the stands. Don't go to your seats. But get in the concourse, sell some hot dogs, sell some beers, and, and don't get soaked. So I think that could have been handled a little bit better. I don't know who was making the decision on that, but you live and you learn. I mean, the first game ever in the stadium, there were no water fountains. They got that corrected. I'm sure they'll get this corrected for the next time too.
1: And maybe there's something I'm not know. Maybe I'm not uh, versed on everything from a, a, a liability standpoint. Maybe there's a reason why you don't let people in the stand and the gates. I don't really know. But a couple of things: put a board on the outside of the stadium that at least has an update, right? Because from where we were standing, you can't see the scoreboards. So if you're not facing either of those end zones, you can't see the scoreboard, and I don't even know if it had any information. So maybe put a board on the outside of the stadium with at least updates. Or B: find a way to get like a mass text message service. You already have all the season taken holders' information. Send out a mass text message, right? Like game time, you know, delayed, you know, and, and keep spamming those text messages through. My my kids take the bus to school, right? Anytime the bus is five minutes late, I get like 13 text messages from my, my school just to telling me the bus is late. You can't tell me UCF can't figure out a way to send out a mass notification to people saying, hey, game's delayed, you know, check back later or we'll update you when we have more information. So um, it could have been, I guess it could have gone really catastrophic. Luckily, it all worked out. And listen, for those of you who stayed around until one twenty-six a.m., 5, 10 years from now I was telling So uh, my 14 my year old Came to the game with me She wants to stick it out uh, And so I, as we were Driving home in the Uber At like 2am I was like Addison you don't Understand this right now But in 10 years When they're talking about Who was still at the game In 126 you will be able to say, I was there, I saw the whole thing. Uh, So it's going to be one of those cool moments that, you know, ultimately would we have liked it to have ended earlier? Sure. Would I have wanted to delay? No. But ultimately it would be one of those cool things at the end with, you know, there should be T-shirts that made like, I stayed to the end or or something along those lines because it will be a cool story to tell in in five to ten years.
2: Right. It goes down in history as, like, the victory missed game against Marshall with the comeback who stuck around for that one who was there in the stadium with when when mike hughes returned that kick you're gonna hear this story everybody you meet it's gonna seem like for the next 20 years is gonna say oh yeah i was there until 126 in the morning remember that game um, it's gonna be impossible for everybody to have actually been at that game but the diehards were there nobody people like us people that have been waiting for this game for how many months there was nothing you could have done to make this game, to not go to the game. The game could have gone until 5 in the morning, and I would have been there, right? And I feel bad for the people that had to work the next day, the people that lived in town, they didn't have the days off like us. But you warned everybody, take Friday off. What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> Even rookie If you, rookie if you mistake. Worked there, yeah, you should have taken Friday off, and you, you would have been fine. Uh, but it, it's still a very impressive crowd that was there, and that stuck around, and that was loud and yeah. into the game. Uh, I was very impressed with the people that did stay.
1: Yeah they they posted a video of uh, everyone singing I love you baby uh, which was one of those cool moments that, that took place and it was small but it was, it was loud and mighty Mike and uh, it, it made the difference so again it could have been more uh, I think if UCF handled it maybe a little bit differently maybe more people stick around who knows but ultimately for those of us who were there it will uh, certainly be one that you will never forget Mike and that is our game breakdown those are our, our, our top three things at least the things we saw um, obviously we're open to your feedback if you saw something that you thought was important you can find us on social media and you can tell us what you think of the game but Coming up next, Mike, we're going to go, uh, go back to an old staple for uh, football season, UCF Observations plus Sunday's Headlines
2: Today. That's coming up next. Sons of UCF will be right back. This is UCF Athletic Director Terry Mahajer, and in my spare time
0: when I'm not on TikTok, I'm listening to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Go Knights and charge off.
1: All right. Uh, again, a lot of things happened during the game. Like you and I were at this game, so we got a chance to see things a little bit even closer than normal. A lot of things happened, and we don't quite know where to fit it in the show. Does it a its own segment? Who knows? So. That brings us up to UCF Observations, news, notes, things that we saw, things on our mind, things that took place during the game, Uh, sort of a rapid fire style format. UCF Observations, Mike. We'll kind of go one at a time here. You go, then I go, then you go, then I go, and so on and so forth with our UCF Observations. Buddy, you kick it off. Uh, Give me an observation.
2: Me? Potato salad, an underrated drunk food. I got to say, I was so happy I had some of these containers of potato container salad. Yeah. Once that rain delay was going on, I, at one point, I just took one whole one and just bound it myself. Yeah. It was great.
1: My wife took the plates, which was, uh, which was unfortunate. Mike, here's my first one. <laughs> I saw T Will was wearing a gold polo on the sideline somewhere. George O'Leary looked at the screen and said, You look sharp, Ace.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe gold is not gone. Who knows? Yeah. The tailgate guy's tent. Clutch during a rain delay and That that was money well spent And it was worth it to begin with But once that rain delay hit I was so happy And how about using the practice facilities for the bathroom That was cool
1: Clutch, yeah Like I feel bad for the fan that was sitting in section 228A I don't know if you saw this guy But he spent the entire fourth quarter Yelling at all the fans around him To stand up and make some more noise I feel bad because he missed the hell of a fourth quarter If <laughs> he'd actually watched the game It's probably a lot better than uh, than yelling at everybody else <laughs>
2: Down 21 nothing. Boca Bowl flashbacks. Uh, Like I said before, I don't want to do that again. (laughs) Let's get that out of our system now. Uh,
1: Mike, Jill's Cashbox. We hardly knew you. Somehow, you and I were like 30 feet from the stage, and I can't remember a single thing from the Jill's Cashbox concert. I I feel bad. I'm sure they're a great band, but Jill's Cashbox, we hardly knew you.
2: More people showed up to our tailgate than showed up to our concert. Titus. Is going to make everyone learn how to say his name. Mokiao Atimalala. That guy is going to be a stud.
1: Well, we should reverse these. Plays. Yeah, because here's mine Titus's performance will now cause future play by play guys sleepless nights trying to figure out how to pronounce his name.
2: <laughs> yeah, dude, talk about having an impact in your first game. I didn't expect to see much of him the first week. Yeah. But he was there. One of the bigger players of the game. Probably the biggest player of the game.
1: Yeah. But next time, just call for a fair catch because he got rung on uh, <laughs> on that one punt return. So uh, put your hand in the air next time, Titus. Yep.
2: Yeah. 54 years since it was released, and Frankie Valley still rocks.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love you, baby. Hey, you that go. was cool, man. That was cool. Yeah. That was fun. I love it.
1: Mike, what does the N uh, and Norvell stand for?
2: Uh, no brains?
1: Not great at game management. Mike, <laughs> this guy just seems to never figure out how to manage the end of a game. Always seems to figure out a way to ice his own kicker. Uh, just Mike Norvell, just not great at uh, game management. Come on, Mike.
2: I had a Norvell one for later on, too. but yeah, How about this one? Note to self, don't stand next to Terry Mahajer after a big play. Yeah. You're going to get knocked out. You are. Yeah. <laughs> he was throwing some haymakers after that interception.
1: If our good friends at uh, Citronite Designs don't have an old Nintendo Bowser graphic shirt out by the end of the week, we riot, Mike.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that's a no-brainer. Easiest marketing out there. Yeah. What's better than a 3 a.m. celebratory Big Mac? Tell me. Because hmm. that's what I had. I know it was fabulous. Uh,
1: Mike, we can't get any seltzer options in the cabana. I mean, we can't get one little white claw situation, one true. We can't get any seltzer. Who do I got to call to get some seltzer options in the cabana? I mean, I'm disappointed in that. Timo. I guess so. He's going to knock me out, though.
2: (laughs) A tradition unlike any other. The cows getting shut out to open the year. Oh, baby, 45 nothing. What was it last year? Was Wisconsin or the year before? Or was Notre Dame last year? Wisconsin the year before? These guys can't score a point to start the year.
1: Underrated, Mike, but uh, but strength coach, uh, Coach Dawson, he might have actually been the real MVP of this game because our guys looked fresh. They looked like they were ready to play in the fourth quarter. Uh, there wasn't a lot of guys tapping out. So, Coach Dawson, he might actually be the real MVP of this one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Gus talked about how he loved the conditioning of the team. So, yeah. got I give him credit. The U is not back. They suck, dude. They got destroyed. It was great. I loved watching that game, too.
1: Well, that's actually... Uh, so, mine was, Alabama really needs to stop scheduling cupcakes in week one.
2: <laughs> the Gators. They say when you have two quarterbacks, you have none. They have two running backs as quarterbacks. I don't see either one of those guys doing well. Uh, but they could run the ball. I guess I'll give them that.
1: Mike, did you see where Dylan Gabriel, in an article posted, um, I think it was 24-7 Sports, he said that last year... The offensive game plan was mis-scouted on eight of the 10 games. That's really not surprising to me. Actually, where it was more surprising is, what were the two games we got right? Temple and what else? What were the other two games you think Hypo actually scattered correctly last year? I can't. Temple and uh, who, who? I don't even know. Who was the other one?
2: Georgia Tech, I guess. Maybe, I don't, who
1: knows? If someone could tell me the two that we got right, I'd love to know that one.
2: <laughs> the GOAT is back! Mackenzie Milton, baby, that was... Uh, pleasure to watch last night love to see him get in there and show fsu fans what we've already known about the guy he is the greatest of all time
1: he is the goat it was it was great to see you. it was a lot of nostalgia brought back it was it was definitely tough to uh, uh to to not have a bit of a uh, a tingle uh, on the arm hair there when uh, you saw him playing mike because obviously we saw that stuff uh so many times and uh and it's great mike um Nobody really should be surprised that the play of the game was made by Dylan. Which, yeah. Mike, Mike, that brings me to you want my top five list of Dylans? I have my top five Dylans here if you're ready for it. <laughs>
2: oh, <here we> go. <laughs> Are you ready
1: for my top five? I had it I had it written down right here. I have my top five Dylans right here. Number five, Dylan Lester. Number four, Corey Dillon. I mean, he was a great running back for the Patriots. I think he played for the Bengals for a while, Corey Dillon. Number three Dylan Barnes. He was a solid kicker for us. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't flashy. He didn't maybe have all the records, but a solid kicker. Number two, Dylan McKay. Rest in peace, Luke Perry. Dylan McKay always got the job done in Naotono. And my number one Dylan, of course, Dylan Gabriel, uh, who potentially will, will hold a bunch of records for UCF when it's all said and done. Mike, that is my official top five list of Dylans.
2: I thought you were going, gentlemen. K one. I thought for sure that was that's. I know. A I know you
1: did. I know you did. I know that <laughs> something. The list is the list. I can't change those lists.
2: Yeah, I didn't see a list coming. Sorry, I like that. Yeah, thank it. you. Thank you. Mike Norvell could screw up a one-car funeral. <laughs> this guy has has no clue what he's doing, dude. He blew the three games against us when he was at Memphis. He blew. If he starts McKenzie last night, they win that game by ten points. It yeah, took a, a helmet popping off. To finally get him in the game, and if that helmet doesn't pop off, McKenzie probably doesn't play at all last night. Yeah, which is a damn shame, man. This guy, this guy's an idiot. Yeah,
1: like I don't know about you, I thought it was really great synergy. Right where you and I were positioned before the game, um, there was a big three MG roofing party. They had a tent outside. They had a DJ. It was awesome. We got into the stadium finally. Uh, There were there were. uh, shirts being handed out. It says Knights on the Front, sponsored by uh, 3MG Roofing in the Back. And then all that happens on the day that we open up three... Oh, never mind. <laughs> That's awkward. Yeah,
2: I, I saw that shirt. I had it in my hotel. <coughs> I don't remember getting this shirt, but it's a pretty cool shirt. I wore it today, actually. It was a nice shirt. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's nice. The nice script, Knights letters on the front. It's cool. Um, This was... A weekend that we're never going to forget. It's been five days now. It started with the UCF win. Great night Thursday night. Uh, you got the cows getting blown out on the same night. The start of the Gus Malzahn era. The U getting blown out. The Gators kind of got scared by FIU a little bit, if you ask me. Uh, Florida State with McKenzie getting to play, but still losing. It's one hell of a weekend. Speaking of hell, Don Williams?
1: Don Williams. We could be conference mates with Don Williams soon, Mike, uh, because he obviously covers Texas Tech. So Don Williams could get a little dose of UCF up close and personal by 2023
2: here. (laughs) I'm all out. Don Williams Williams can go to hell. Don Don Williams can
1: go to hell. Those (laughs) are UCF observations. Mike, last week we debuted Sunday's headlines today. Last week that was actually Friday's headlines, but since the game is Saturday – Sunday's headlines today. I actually got pretty close with one. I had my, uh, my bonus last week, which was um, Bowser gives Boise the Blues, brother, which actually turned out to be pretty close because Bowser obviously was a, uh, was a force to be reckoned with throughout the game, Mike. So let's, uh, let's give everyone a preview of next week. We've already got the headlines for Sunday's newspaper or internet articles here today. Obviously, UCF playing Bethune and Cookman, Mike. Uh, give, me, uh, give me one headline that you think we might see uh, on Sunday.
2: All right, this one could have been used last week, but I'm gonna take it now. And you already you used it with the Bowser. Isaiah Wowser running back has another big day with three first half touchdowns. Nice.
1: Here's my first one. Cooked, man. Knights overpile overpower Wildcats.
2: There you go. This is a big rivalry game. Don't forget. Yeah. Yeah. I got the barber chop. Ricky cuts down Bethune with 15 tackles
1: next up for he me made... yeah Ricky Barber he played He played well he didn't uh, I guess you know Kalia Davis and, and Big Cat got some of the headlines but Barber was solid he had some really solid stats uh, in his Knights debut which was awesome next one for me Mike you down with JJB yeah you know me Knights linebacker <laughs> makes plays all over the field in the W <laughs> he played
2: really well bro. he played well and yes
1: yeah, he played really well, and and it's not surprising. I mean, he was one of those guys who got a uh, a personal media day uh, availability, so perhaps that was foreshadowing. Um, even after the game, he came out, he, he did a uh, did a presser. His his energy seemed really infectious. So I'm excited about JJB. I'm gonna start calling him JJB. I'm not sure if I'll catch on, but it's a lot easier than saying his full name. So JJB, are you down with JJB? Yeah, you know, me.
2: yeah, you know me. <laughs> exactly. These nights. And D's is <laughs> D, apostrophe, yes, as in the UCF defense holds Bethune-Cookman to 86 total yards. Wow. These guys shut down Boise last week. They're going to shut these. I, I believe we're going to keep Bethune to under 100 yards total for this game. These Knights. Nice.
1: Knights fans keen on Mikey. True freshman QB looks solid in mop-up duty. So this should be a game where Dylan hopefully gets a chance to, to get in plays well, you know, runs some plays, and then gets out early, You know, avoids injury. And we get to see a little bit of uh, some of the, the future quarterbacks. Mikey Keane, he warmed up for a hot minute there when uh, when Dylan was down um, during uh, the Boise game. Uh, so you would think he would be in line to get some mop-up duty. Do we see Quadri? Do we see Parker Navarro? But obviously Mikey Keene is probably the guy we all want to see. So Knights fans should be keen on Mikey. Hopefully he gets some run against Bethune-Cookman.
2: That's going to be fun for us to see. Uh, obviously you can't burn the red shirt and these days now you get to play four games. It's cool to get guys like him in there, get him some experience. I think I'm looking forward to seeing what this kid's got. All I've heard is what he did in the spring game. I didn't get to watch it, but everything that we've heard through camp, he's earned the number two spot. I'd love to see him come in and hopefully have the whole second half to himself. Hopefully we're up big enough where we can get the guys some rest and Mikey King come in, throw a couple touchdowns and see what the future holds for UCF football.
1: All right. Well, those are Sunday's headlines today. This is what will happen. Uh, you can you can take it to the bank, Mike. Game is six thirty Saturday. I just actually saw on Twitter, Leger Douzable will be on the call on ESPN Plus, uh, so he will be doing some color commentary work there. Six thirty. Get to your ESPN Plus, and don't forget on Thursday, I think, Mike the ninth. Um, UCF, uh, the series, uh, begins on ESPN Plus as well. So you'll see the opening, um, the, I guess, premier edition, which should be a doozy, uh, I assume, covering some, uh, some of the camp stuff and some of Boise. So uh, ESPN Plus will be required for this particular season, Mike. Not that it wasn't for last season, but now it's definitely going to be go time because you're going to want to watch all the stuff on ESPN Plus. That's going
2: to be cool, man. It's like having a hard knocks for UCF. Thursday night is now booked. You watch the (laughs) sons of UCF live and then you follow that up and you watch the, uh, I don't know what they're called. What are they calling that show?
1: I think it's called our time. I think that's what they call it. Maybe
2: all right. UCF, our time every Thursday night. I'm I'm probably going to watch that twice a week. I probably imagine watching it right after our show, right before bed on Thursday night, probably watch it again before game on Saturday. Uh, That that is a cool feature that we have this year. We've we've seen the great job that we've done with the night flicks the last few years. This is that on steroids. Usually those videos are about three to five minutes. This is, what, a 30-minute episode every week following this team? Yeah. So how awesome is that? Not every school gets that.
1: Not every school gets that. Not every show has their top five Dylan's. That's what you get here on The Suns of UCF. Coming up next, not every show has Mike's picks, but we do. How did we fare last week and how will we do this week? Only Mike knows, and he will tell you
2: next. Don't go. Anyway. versus
1: everybody. Alrighty friends, UCF Mike does a lot of things really well, uh plans tailgates, makes potato salad, and he also does a great job at his weekly pig segment. He will tell you who's gonna win before that actually happens. And uh he also has a little pool tracker out there that you can join. If you want to make picks each week, Mike. Although you missed week one, probably still time to join if you want to get in there. So you didn't uh, maybe miss too much. Maybe it's still some time for you to get in there. Uh, but to each week, Mike, preview some games um, and in and around the American Conference. Maybe some games that have a little bit of tie to UCF, Mike. So um, I guess do you want to recap how you did last week, week one? Where do you stand? Where do we all stand? What's the update?
2: All right, week one, I think, is always the hardest week to pick these games. You have nothing to go off. Uh, you know, other than just some preseason articles or whatever you saw last year, it's really hard to pick games the first week of the year. Now that you've seen the teams play, I think it gets a little more, a little easier as we go along. So week one was was a tough one for me. I I went one and two here on my picks last week. I took Rutgers over Temple. That was an easy win. Rutgers destroyed them as I thought they would. I lost the Houston-Texas Tech game. I lost Navy at home to Marshall. Marshall blew the doors off these guys. A lot of UCF fans were worried about that Navy game coming up in October. Are you guys still scared of Navy on the road? Because they did not show like they knew how to play football again, like they started last season. So one and two last week on the, in the sh- picks here on the show. Uh, in the pool tracker, I went seven and six, which is not great, but not horrible. You know, I tried water for the first week. Uh, I believe that whoever, I, I didn't see his name, but the guy that's winning the pool went 10 and three for the week. A so good week out of him. I think you went, what, eight and five? I think you got me by a game this week. I am uh, so,
1: Nitro's Pop, <clears throat> excuse me, Nitros Papa is 10 and three. And then um, Tampa Bay all night, myself, Brandon Nitro, and like 10 other people are nine and four, including UCF Mike, but not you, UCF Mike, the other UCF Mike.
2: All right. Well, nine and four, that's a that's a nice start to the season. That's a very good job picking there. Uh, I think pretty much everybody had UCF, and we, we lost that half point really came back to haunt us. One by five, and the line was five and a half. That's a tough one. Uh, the cows is getting blown out. That was an easy one for everybody. I, I think some people had Navy. That was a hard one. So uh, we rebound here this week, one and two on the season. I got three more picks for you this week. Uh, this is going to be a three-zero week. Uh, you can count on it. Crank up the music. Let's get this puppy going. Moving. Let's go. Game number one. SMU minus 22 points versus the Mean Green of North Texas. Mm-hmm. The Mean Green coming off a big win in week 1, 44 to 14 against Northwestern State. This opened up as a 26-point spread down to 22. The Ponies looked really good in week 1, a 56-9 victory of their own against Abilene Christian. I know it's Abilene Christian. But this kid, Tanner Mordecai, the transfer from Oklahoma, seven touchdown passes, a la Darren Slack, (laughs) setting an SMU record. He had 12 different guys on SMU with receptions this week. Uh, The Ponies, we expected them to be good. They look like they're going to be good. They have a very soft schedule from now until November, or the end of October, where they play at Houston, at Memphis, then the UCF game, and then at Cincinnati, and Tulsa to finish it up. They could start out, though, I think 7-0 and easily in this in this season. Uh, last year, these two teams played. SMU won that game 65-35. Uh, I'm taking SMU. I'm giving up the 22 points. I would have given it up if it stayed at 26. I think SMU is hot right now. They're going to be at home. So give me the ponies. Let them cover the points. And I, I think they cruise to another 30-point lead.
1: I concur with all of your analysis. I also throw in there this. <coughs> Ron Hefley who plays for Presbyterian College, had 10 touchdown passes on Saturday. And that's important because Presbyterian College is coached by Kevin Kelly, who Mike is the guy who famously refuses to punt and always onside kicks. Uh Ron Hefley's uh, 10 TD passes in an 84-43 win this week.
2: Wow. <laughs> 10 touchdowns. All right, we go nuts with Al Bundy. Four touchdowns in one game. This guy did that. Two times plus another two.
1: Yeah.
2: But seven, seven touchdowns. We talked to Darren Slack a couple weeks ago on our show. That was a big deal back then. That was that's a UCF record. This guy broke the SMU record. Tanner Mordecai, maybe a name we need to uh keep an eye on here as the season goes along. All
1: right, yeah, for sure.
2: All right, game number two, Tulsa at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State giving up 12 and a half points. Week one, what happened to the Golden Hurricane? They lose at home to UC Davis. Did not see that one coming. These guys were in a championship game last year. They've beat us the last two years. To go from that to losing at home to a division, what are you, division two school? UC Davis. They're, I think they're in the Big Sky Conference. They are. Uh, no good. No Zayvon Collins for Tulsa this year. That could be a problem for them. The Cowboys of Oklahoma State, they didn't look that great either in week one. They snuck by Missouri State 23-16. But I think they're gonna get a little rebound here this this week. They've won eight in a row against Tulsa. The last time last year was a close game, 16-7. But Tulsa looks like it's a different team this year, maybe taking a step back. Typically this is a blowout. So Oklahoma State usually blows them out. If you look back in that eight-game winning streak, They've won 40-21, 59-24, 59-33, 65-28, 38-21, 36-26, 46-9. The last time that Tulsa won a game in Stillwater, you got to go all the way back to 1951. And the last time Tulsa beat Oklahoma State at all was 1998. We were young freshmen walking around the Citrus Bowl watching Dante play. This is a rivalry that goes back to 1914. But Tulsa has not had much luck since the 30s and 40s. They dominated this rivalry, believe believe it or not, in the 1930s and 40s. We're talking about 70 years ago. They they sprinkled in a few wins in the last 70 years. Oklahoma State will bounce back from that uh, kind of a rough showing last week. I think they cover the 12 and a half. They win this game by at least two touchdowns, maybe three. Give me the Cowboys at home to cover 12 and a half against Tulsa, Golden
1: Herring, You've come here for your Presbyterian College coverage. You stay for the 1930s football. Recap, Mike. Uh, Oklahoma State did not have their starting QB, Spencer Sanders, in week one. He was in COVID protocol. Presumably he'll be back in week two, uh, which could explain their struggles against uh, whatever Missouri situation you just mentioned there. So give me, uh, give me the Cowboys our future conference fro potentially. Give me the Cowboys. I, I think you're right. I think you, you lay the points here, and uh, you take the Cowboys.
2: That's right, so we're rooting for these guys now The Big 12 teams, right? Every week we're rooting for Big 12 Did you stay up and watch the BYU-Arizona game? I was kind of watching that It was the only game left on Just missed it And <laughs> BYU, I'm rooting for BYU now Just missed these it These are the teams we have to root for
1: I'm just rooting against so, Tulsa That's just a general rule of my life If Tulsa's playing anything, I'm rooting against them <laughs>
2: Yeah, we have a tough enough time against yes. those guys We don't want to have to see them in the championship game It doesn't look like they're headed that way this year No, I'll play not All right. Game number three, the Memphis Tigers, five-point favorites on the road against Arkansas State. Last week, Tigers beat Nichols State, the Colonels. That's right. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not. Uh, 40 42-17. I did not know that. Uh, but this seems like it could be a trap game for Memphis. Coming off that win, they have a big game at home the following week against Mississippi State. This week, going on the road to Terry Ball alma mater, the Red Wolves, who took care of business last week against Central Arkansas, forty to twenty-one. It's a seven PM kick. I think Arkansas Arkansas State crowd is going to be into this game if, if they're anything like Terry with the fist pump, the fist pumps. Uh, it could be a violent section out there over in Jones, uh, Jonesboro. This was a close game. Uh, I I think it's going to be a close game. I think Memphis sneaks out of there. Maybe with a field goal win. I think they still get the win. Three, four points. But Arkansas State is going to cover this thing. Maybe even win it outright. Give me the five points of Arkansas State. These two teams played last year. Memphis won 37-24. The last three meetings in Jonesboro, though. Arkansas State won those games. 2012, 2011, and 2007. They're at home again. I see them putting up a, a very good fight. Maybe even beating Memphis. 2004 is the last time the Tigers went into Jonesboro and came out with a win. Give me the uh, the Red Wolves in this one. I'll take the five points. Maybe went out right, but if they lose by four, I'll take that too.
1: The Red Wolves, the Fighting Butch Joneses, <laughs> he is their, uh, their new head coach there. Uh, Mike, Memphis of the quarterback situation, too. They had a guy, um, Grant Gunnell, who transferred from Arizona State. Uh, he was essentially so, uh, supposed to play. He did not. They started a true fresh, uh, freshman named Seth Hennigan uh, against Nichols State. No word on who's starting um, Ganell Potentially, maybe dinged up, but it's one of those where we're gonna go week to week. Uh, so they potentially are having some quarterback issues. Um, Arkansas State. I'm just gonna. I agree with you on this one. I'm, this is a, just a Timo pick. I'll, I'll do this for our guy Timo. Um, you also have some compelling information there. So give me the fighting Butch Joneses uh, and the the Timos, if you will. Um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take those five and a half.
2: Yeah, I wonder if Timo's keeping up with the score. The, the game is probably going around, around the same time. What time is our game? 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock? 6.30. 6.30. All right, and this game kicks off at 7. I got to think Timo's checking his phone every once in a while to get a score update or I'll have somebody update him on the big board. Uh, but, yeah, give me Arkansas State. You know, a game that I didn't pick, that I wanted to pick, but I just I, I hate the Gators so much too, but they're favored by 29 against the Cows. At Raymond James Stadium uh if you want a bonus pick uh, I don't see the Cow- the cows couldn't get on the board against NC State I don't know if they're getting a- they might take them a few weeks to score a point here the cows first <laughs> team to give up points to the cows should be demoted to Division <laughs> II, <whatever>. right it's <laughs> so, uh it's
1: getting bad over there in the, in uh, West Temple Terrace for sure
2: <laughs> I did not make it as my official one of my three picks of the week but uh, you, you can bet that I'm probably not going to pick the cows to cover many spreads this year. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, yeah well, but uh, there you go. I, I, so. would. I wouldn't either. Yeah. I wouldn't I would pick the cows to cover pretty much <laughs> like a sandwich with butter at this point. I don't think they could figure that out. Um, I, hopefully someone gives team with a score. Cause I don't want him like punching somebody. Um, and or I'm curious if he's going to have an arm sling when he walks into work on uh, on Tuesday because uh, it looked like that right rotator cuff was getting some uh, some work out there. Dylan Lester, I was concerned for his safety because uh, I thought Timo might actually take a shot at the chest uh, of Dylan Lester at that one.
2: He <laughs> threw about four or five Big time
1: yeah, he was he was, he was, was fired up. I don't I, I, and I don't even remember, did Danny ever stand on the sidelines? I don't remember Danny being a sideline guy, but Timo was down there in the corner um, enjoying himself, having a good time. I, I saw some uh, former Knights were there. I saw two players from the Orlando Magic were there, which was awesome. Uh, RJ Hampton and, and Cole Anthony were there repping the Knights uh, at like 10, uh, 10, 11 p.m. at night, which was pretty cool. Uh, hopefully Timo ices that shoulder down, Mike, but your picks – our legendary, again, make sure you get to the Pool Tracker, Mike. Give us uh, give us the update real quick how you join the Pool Tracker if you want to.
2: Pooltracker.com. Search for Group Sons of UCF. I mean, now you're a week behind. There's still time to catch up ground. If you're good at making picks, you, you shouldn't be scared. You can still get in there. Group is Sons of UCF. Password is GusBus21. Uh, if you're going to get in, get in now because it's getting late. And I already mentioned the cool prizes. You're going to get a Sons of UCF hat in there. Uh, You're gonna get a Knot hoodie, and I'll probably throw in some basketball tickets for a game later this year. I don't know which game. Maybe I'll I'll leave it up to you. Which game you want to go to? A couple hoops tickets. What what else do you want?
1: You asking me? Am I eligible? I I mean, (laughs) yeah, if you win. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Maybe a signed uh, a signed picture of you, of Mike with potato salad. How's that?
2: Ooh, maybe I'll just send some tips out to
1: your house. something better. I don't know. If you're not entering, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. You probably have some time. Again, get in this week, though, because undoubtedly people will probably miss a week here and there. Things happen. So you may be able to uh, to just sneak in there and uh, maybe make some noise here. But get in now uh, if you want to get included on those great prizes. Mike, next up, we talked about the cows, and now we'll talk about them some more.
2: Cow of the week is coming up. Don't you go anywhere. Sons UCF. We'll be right back. and Adam, sons of UCF,
0: that'll move those chains. That's good enough for another
1: UCF first down. All right, let's close up shop around here with Cow of the Week, Mike. If you're new, what we do here is we make fun of the cows by finding something that made us laugh, that we found idiotic, that we just thought wasn't a really good idea, and we nominate that person as Cow of the Week for their actions or whatever they did. Mike, there's a lot of so we we struggle during the summer months, and a lot going on. Uh, there, There's so many options this week. I don't even really know which ones I want to choose from just yet, even as I'm talking right now. I don't know what I'm going to go with, uh, but I'll let you lead off, and I'll figure that out. Who do you have for your Cow of the Week?
2: Right. I mean, we've already discussed Mike Norvell could it be a cow easily this week. I'm sure the people that did the the preseason rankings look like cows with some of the <laughs> Washington at number 20 and losing to a Division II school, things like that. Those are probably easy cows. Uh, this one was during the game. Uh, I don't know. I guess we are going to blame the American Conference. Does it go straight up to Oresco for being Cal for this? But there was there were two yeah. targeting calls yep. made in the fourth quarter of this game, and we don't get to see the replays. These are big-time calls in the game. Big uh, game-swinging plays could be. And you're talking about players getting ejected from a game, and the fans sitting there can't see what happened. Why? Why what is the point of this? They put up on the screen, American Athletic Conference rule does not permit us to show a replay of a targeting call. Why not? I don't, there's no explanation as to why you can't do that. And then looking at it, going home and watching the replay When I the next day, that first one, I'm sorry, that's still targeting. I don't know why they took that one off the board. That was targeting to me. So the referees could be part of the Cowboys this week. At the american athletic association i'm sorry the american conference yeah, that's who they are. for having this stupid rule is a cow uh the whole targeting thing uh, explain it do you have a good explanation as to why we can't see the replay
1: i don't i would say you and i did not make it to any games last season um and so I, I actually t- uh, texted Trace and I said, hey, you were at some games last year. Was this a rule last year? He said he thinks so, but he doesn't really recall. I remember when I was at the Fiesta Bowl, Mike, and they were reviewing the Joe Burrow um, uh, knockout blow from Joey Connors that that was not replayed on the big board. And I was, at the time was wondering why. So m- maybe it's a, a an NCAA thing, but I don't, I don't understand why. I guess maybe they don't want people to – they don't want to glorify the hit, so they don't want to play it over and over again, but they're doing it at home. So I'm not sure the difference. So I assume that they think that people in the stands are just going to go just crazy if they don't call it the right way because they show it at home. So what's the difference between showing the stadium? The only difference I can think of is they think something bad's going to happen if they show it in the stadium. Uh, so they're not showing it. Although I don't know what that something would be.
2: I mean, these are the people that pay the money to go to these games. We should be informed on that as to what's going on and be able to make our own opinion as to what's going on. Uh, I know major league baseball, they have replays now and they'll, they'll show you if, whether somebody's safe or out, and uh, they give you five different angles and make you to see what you know what you think is the right call, and to not give your fans here to be able to do that, I think sucks, man. I think they need to change that rule. Uh, what are they afraid of? People seeing a big hit. What's the worst thing that happens? People are saying, "Oh, oh!" Every time they show the replay, uh, if the guy's still injured, uh, I mean, th- this is big boy football time now. Let- let- let's see the replay. I paid my money. Show me the replay.
1: But they show it to you at home. And so that's what I don't understand. If, if they didn't want uh, to glorify the hit or something, then they wouldn't show it at all. But they show it to you when you're watching at home. So, I, again, I assume that they don't want like some sort of a, uh, a mass uh, chaos situation. Uh, they don't want fans fighting each other. I don't, I don't know why uh, us in the stadium aren't responsible enough or mature enough to actually see the replay. But if you're sitting at home on your couch, you can see it. I don't, I don't, that I don't understand. Um, that doesn't make people sense. are going
2: to yeah, people are going to react with booze or whatever right? if it goes against the home team no matter what if targeting on them or the other way people are going to react negatively no matter what if it's against their team so might as well just show us and, and in some cases you can see oh you know what maybe they got it wrong or maybe they got it right against us and I can understand the call but if you don't get the chance to watch it again automatically I'm going to assume the refs are, are just going against us and I'm going to be pissed. <laughs>
1: That's a, again, a good assumption uh, to, to make because like, I don't know why we can't be trusted, but they, they made it seem like the American it was the American conferences rule. So I don't know if that's just a conference thing. Um, maybe I, I actually have the email uh, address for the uh, uh, spokesman for the AAC. Maybe I'll send him a note and see if he can offer clarity on, on why that is, because I'm, I'm genuinely curious as to what it is. I'm sure. Maybe there's something super easy we're not thinking about, Mike, but it it does not make any sense. And is this an NCAA rule or not? Um, I guess we need to figure all that out. But it it definitely was was Cal of the Week worthy.
2: Yep. So that's Cal of the Week for week one of the season. Let's try to clean this up. And and it's something that's easily corrected. You can change the rule and have it replays available next week. (laughs) What's going to stop them from just saying that?
1: Yeah. All right, again, a lot of options this week. Again, with college football actually on, there's so many options, so many things. You, you mentioned some of the teams that got upset that were ranked, and uh, and, and now they look kind of foolish uh, for, for being ranked when they got boat raced. Um, you know, I mentioned the Hypo article earlier where uh, 8 out of 10 games were misscouted. That feels like it's uh, it's potentially Cow of the Week-worthy, Mike. I'm going to go, though, to uh, two options here. One... Um, our friend Randy Etzel, <laughs> are you following the Randy Etzel saga? <laughs> so he, uh, he, they lost again. UConn did this week. I think it was Holy Cross. Um, and uh, and two things about this game were, were hysterical to me. So a, uh, there was a there's a, a viral video going around of the defensive coordinator trying to get the teamless sort of pumped up. They're in a bit of a huddle. And he's obviously giving them some sort of a, you know, instruction or pep talk. And he puts his hand up to sort of get everyone to put their hands in. And nobody follows him. He just stands there for like 35 seconds with his hand in the air by himself. And finally, like two guys like kind of put their hands up and sort of smack at him. Uh, And then they go out and they end up getting beat by Holy Cross. But then we learn shortly thereafter that um, Randy Etzel decided that he was going to retire at the end of the season. Uh, so he had enough and he was going to retire at the end of the season. Then the day we learned Randy Etzel's leaving today. <laughs> so Randy Etzel's <laughs> tenure, uh, and he's, a, if you've been with us for a long time, he's been a cow of the week uh, staple for a while there because he'd like to offer his opinion on everything every week. Uh, so Randy Etzel, uh, I don't know what's going on there, but potentially cow of the week. And then Mike um, Miami, the turnover chain. I don't know if you saw this they 're down twenty seven nothing and they get a a turnover uh, and I think it's an interception and the, the they run to the sideline, two gentlemen actually break out this gaudy turnover chain from like a chest of drawers on the sideline. they put it around the neck of the kid hey you're down twenty seven nothing i'm not sure so, so sure we should be celebrating that, but here's the best part, Mike. It got overturned, so the kid had to take the necklace off, give it back to the equipment guys, put his helmet back on, and run onto the field. I don't know what the uh, what the rules are, but they should probably wait to see if the turnover stands before they start doling out the chain. And they should probably figure out like, is this really the time to be celebrating a turnover when you're down 27 to Alabama? Um, so Miami and the turnover chain—it was fun while it lasted, right? The first year was a nice gimmick, but and now we're on week five or year four or five of this. Everybody's got one. I'm watching the. Mississippi um, uh, Louisville game right now Uh, Mississippi just got a turnover they had a turnover chain on their guy it's not really fun anymore it's not really cute it's not really unique Uh, so Miami and the turnover chain and the whole execution of it against Alabama cow of the week
2: (laughs) yeah I'm glad we didn't break out one of these gimmicks we talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago we were scared that T-Will would be a guy that would bring one of these things I didn't see the Dylan Lester turnover chain I saw the the Timo fist pumps. Maybe that's our thing. <laughs> but uh, uh, to, to break it out, when you're down 27 nothing, give me a breakaway. Like, yeah. <laughs> One play. And then the call gets reversed. It's even funnier. It's typical Miami. They deserve that crap. Uh, I, I'm glad that they got their doors blown off this week. They're going to drop. And, and to talk about the people doing the rankings, they were number 14 in the country to start the year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where are they going to drop to? Tell me they drop out of the top 25. They probably won't. Right. They'll probably drop to like they'll get the credit because it it's Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. 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 So they'll they'll drop to like 21. They'll still be in ahead of us. Uh, how many weeks until we actually pass them by? Hopefully not more than the other one or two.
1: Yeah, well, so that's a great question. So uh, the polls typically come out on Mondays, as I assume because it's a holiday, it won't come out till Tuesday. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike. A lot of uh, a lot of guys, um, a lot of teams fell uh, this week. Uh, so does does UCF sneak into the top twenty five again? Uh, LSU took a W. Miami took a W. Or, I'm sorry, LSU took a loss. Miami took a loss. North Carolina took a loss. Washington took a loss. Uh, Clemson took a loss Although they probably won't drop that far Um, So does UCF sneak in here Wisconsin took a loss by the way Um, Does UCF sneak into the top 25 This week
2: Uh, There were still a bunch of teams That were not ranked ahead of us Still that probably are going to Move into So uh, I'd say probably not this week Maybe week two When some more of these top 25 teams lose Maybe And we put an impressive Number up against Bethune-Cookman. We win 63 to nothing and then some other teams in ahead of us lose. Possibly by week three, if we beat Louisville, which right now Louisville is not looking good against Ole Miss. They're losing 23-0, yep.
1: and
2: it's almost not even it's seven minutes to go in the first half. <laughs> so, how impressive will that win look? I don't know, but if we're 3-0 and, and these other teams keep losing, then yes, we should we should find our way into the rankings in the next couple of weeks. We're gonna get more votes this week. Uh, It's a quality win against Boise State, so what were we, like 31, 32 or something like that coming into the season? I think we'll we'll keep moving our way up into the top 25, maybe not, but we're getting closer.
1: So Bleacher Report tries to predict um, the rankings before they come out. Uh, So they do not have us in the top 25, but they have the others receiving votes. There's only four schools listed there. Washington, who just took an L to, I think Montana, Uh, Maryland, who um, beat up on West Virginia, I believe. TCU, I don't know who they played. And then UCF. So we are in uh, Bleacher Reports next four out, essentially. But they have um, uh, Miami is not pictured in their top 25. So we'll see if that holds. Uh, Oldness right now is 25th in that poll. Obviously, they're boat racing. Louisville, will that change? So I I agree. I don't think we sneak in this week. But um, if we keep things rolling and and keep a good win at at, uh, Louisville, rather, um, you know, potentially that gets us closer. And to your point, we need some of these other teams to sort of beat up on each other uh, and see where that kind of takes us. So um, uh, I agree. Probably outside looking in, at least for this first week.
2: All right, Keep taking care of business. By the time we get to that Cincinnati game, that'll be a showdown of top twenty teams. Uh, you know, if we were, where would we would be six and zero at that point. By the time we're going into that game, I think for sure we're in. Hopefully, Cincinnati holds up there under the bargain. They can beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame didn't look great. You know, they played an FSU team that wasn't that great, and they, they struggled with them. Obviously, Indiana turned out to be a fraud in week one. So, uh, you know, just keep plugging away. Keep plugging away. The Louisville game, <laughs> judging by tonight, I'm a lot less concerned about. Obviously, yeah, it changes week to week. They'll be at home when they play us, this and that, but they don't look that great, right? And I wasn't scared of them coming into the season. I'm, I'm a little less scared of them now. Uh, let, let's go you know, three weeks in will be ranked and then it's only up from there.
1: Also a low key, um um uh, I guess big thing about Notre Dame, Cincinnati. Notre Dame's defensive coordinator is Cincinnati's former D coordinator, Marcus Freeman. So if he knows anything about uh Cincinnati's offense, which you think he does. We'll see what that game turns out to be. But we got plenty of weeks to discuss that. Plenty more Sons of UCF shows for you to listen to. Make sure you're subscribing to wherever you get your podcast. to Find us, Sons of UCF. Again, social media stuff everywhere. Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, our YouTube page, Two Nights Media. Go there. At UCF Mike One. And then don't forget, Thursday is the live show featuring Trace Trelco, who is at SignPaz on Twitter. We will bring you the latest uh, comings and goings. We have a lot of interesting guests that join us. Sometimes our internet works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, sometimes it's a solo show with yours truly. You never know what you're going to get. Thursday is the live show. That's why it's live. It's always fun, Mike. But this was a fun week one. Always good to do these shows after a win, like you said. Hopefully, we are reconvened here same time next week. Same same situation next week, and we're talking about a nice W against Bethune Cookman. Either way, great start to the season. Hope everybody enjoyed the game. I know it wasn't uh, didn't uh, start off the way we wanted to, but the ending was fantastic, and uh, it, it 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 feels good to be a night. A lot of good news coming out of UCF right now. Um, it, it feels like this is. I don't know, the, the golden age uh, of UCF football right now.
2: Yeah, big win, a big historic win. <clears throat> Joining the Big 12 Conference all in the same week. We should have another nice cruise to victory this week. We'll be 2-0. and uh, Great times, man. It's great times ahead for UCF. And the Cows falling into the, further into the dumpster. That's great, too. They're going to get destroyed again this week. They're, they're, they're in the bottom 10. Has that come out? Because that's even more fun than the actual rankings. The bottom 10, where are the cows going to be? They're the worst team in college football. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll be battling it out, I'm sure. Yeah, so. I mean,
1: that's that's fair, actually. I don't even know who else will be. I mean, UConn, probably. Um, probably on that list coming up soon. Um, but either way, it's a lot of fun. We're glad you guys are along for the ride. Again, it's going to be a fun football season. Make sure that you... Uh, you're subscribing to everything we're doing you can find a lot of cool stuff we got a couple of ideas up our sleeve you never know when we'll throw something new at everybody so don't uh don't miss anything here at the suns ucf we appreciate everyone for listening watching attending the tailgate and screaming your head off until one thirty in the morning we will reconvene with you all thursday night everybody have a fantastic and a safe week until then we will talk to everybody go knights
2: charge on my
1: voice made it all the way. way I, uh, I had a lot of coughing, too. I feel bad about that. Anyway, Apparently. see you
2: guys. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? <gasps> Ooh, a book club. <sighs> Computer solitaire, huh?
1: <sighs> ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Chumba Casino. <laughs> That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
2: ChumbaCasino.com. Number 66 forward provided by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.